Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Neil. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're continuing our high school movie series with the last of John Hughes's 1980s teen films. We'll talk about the many issues the film brings up, including falling in love with a friend, class differences, and how hard it can be to break away from your parents' plans for your life. And we'll cover a great cast featuring Mary Stuart Masterson, Eric Stoltz, and Leah Thompson as we explore the 1987 film, Some Kind of Wonderful. Hello, Sophia. Hi, Jen. Welcome back to high school. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so true. I'm like totally in my brain about high school. I can't (laughs) stop. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm really, I'm really excited uh, to be doing this movie with you today. And um, I'm also really excited uh, to be doing this movie today with our guest. Today on Every Rom-Com, we're joined by Neil. Uh, He's a new guest. I met him through film Twitter where he puts together a fun and friendly feed, which attracts tons of film fans. Was that like way too much alliteration, but it's all true. (laughs) No, I didn't feel that at all. (laughs) So I noticed that Neil often included some kind of wonderful in his lists of favorites. So I reached out to him to join us today. Neil is passionately drawn to John Hughes films and 80s cinema in general. He's also an amateur photographer with a love for food, adventure, and witty banter. You can find Neil on Twitter at Neil Believes and also on Instagram at Neil WB Photography. There's always a great welcoming vibe in his uh, community over on Twitter. I really recommend checking it out. And he takes some really beautiful photographs over on Instagram. So I'm super excited to learn more about Neil today. And so, Neil, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate all those kind words, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I love some kind of wonderful. So, so Neil, um, when we were having our preliminary conversation just before the podcast, you said this is actually your first podcast appearance. That totally floors me because you have just so many people that you talk about film with on Twitter. Absolutely. There's been uh, there's so many great people, the community, and just even coming across every rom-com is just amazing because – I've listened, like we had spoken previously about the episodes I've listened to, and it just this is said, there's a great sense of community that you really hug your audience with a lot of great knowledge and information and breaking down films. So it's a great honor to be on with you. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm honored to have you on because ser- seriously, like when I found your Twitter account, I was like, wow, this guy is really like, he's got all these people that follow him and like, he's so kind to people and has these great conversations and sets up these great questions for people. Like, and I looked at when you, when you started your Twitter, it was like in 2021 and you have so many followers. Like, how did you come up with the idea to, to get on Twitter and start this kind of movie account? And how did you like build such a community like so quickly? So I started Twitter a long time ago and then This is a really like a uh, uh, interesting experience. Obviously, with the pandemic, there I had a Neil Blues account before this one, and then had to restart all over from zero. And now where we're at is 
we're mutually following people, each other. So it's a, a great community of people that just love talking about film, especially during the pandemic when a lot of us were home and it just kind of brought up memories of films and different films to discuss. And every day it's just a different challenge and more people coming in. It feels like uh, I kind of describe it to kind of having like a, a big conference with a lot of people and then <laughs> different people coming in and out of the room, but the conversation keeps going. And I think that that's the core reason why I'm on Twitter, just to what we love about movies and what to places it takes us back to memories that we have and where we could possibly go and be even more creative. So that whole experience of just a community of people, it's not me, it's really, it's everybody. We're all oh, in it wow. together and just having a great conversation. So I think it's fun. Nice. Oh, wow. You guys make me want to be on Twitter. I've never <laughs> done it, but you know, I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. Please join, please. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I should do it. Bite the bullet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, in contrast to, like, some corners of Twitter, it's just a very friendly environment among you and your followers. And, yeah, I I'm, I really find that great because I like to follow positive people for the most part, you know? Absolutely. And there's this funny, I have, like, kind of, like, different rules I try to do just to keep everything positive. And because there are some negative feedback. I, I do get some negative feedback on some films like really negative feedback. <laughs> Some people can make it really personal about me, but I, at the end of the day, it's it's really about the film. So if I understand whatever that is, but for me, it's about positivity. And I think that's what a lot of people just like go on Twitter, kind of a break from reality in a sense. So it's kind of like a, a way for we us to kind of express ourselves and have fun. And that's what life should be. Yeah, oh, totally. I love that. I love that. That's wonderful. So, so you're, you're, I've, I know you have like more than one account on Twitter too, but like, uh, if your main account focuses on films and how long have you been like a lover of films? I've been a lover of films forever. It feels like I've just always had a appreciation for cinema and even we're talking about John Hughes, Home Alone. I still have the VHS here <laughs> and I saw a Twitter question asking, what's the oldest thing in your place? And that's actually it. The Home Alone VHS. And my wow. place here, this is the oldest thing I own. And so I've had a love for John Hughes, but also a love for cinema. And back in the day, I remember they used to show 80s movies all the time on Comedy Central. And they, we used to have this channel, uh, WB11 over here. And they would show all, all in, well, I'm in North Jersey. but So they would show a lot of older movies and things that it just felt like uh, this is a part of what uh, my life currently. And I grew up with a lot of Gen X people, let's say. So I officially think of myself as Gen X. <laughs> so even though I was born in 87, I don't know how that all works out. But so I grew up on MTV at a very young age. I grew up on a lot of movies from the past, watching The Breakfast Club, Some Kind of Wonderful, Pretty in Pink, uh, 16 Candles. And so th that to me was just like fascinating. The, the, my love for cinema really started just from watching a lot of the movies from the past and really ha feeling and that being friends with people that also were movie lovers too. So yeah. you, you have your own inside references. You ever have that where you oh, pull yeah. references to each other? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I just got a hold of a sticker that said I'm fluent in movie quotes. So. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. 
So you also, so in addition to movies, you also work on photography. You, you said you're an amateur photographer. And when did your interest in photography develop? And like, do you have any exhibitions or like plans to share your photos outside of Instagram or what's, what's going on with your photos these days? That's a lot of questions in one. I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that I take nice pictures. I, it's really, my, my love for it really started. We, my dad would take a lot of pictures uh, just family photos and everything. But my love for it really started was when he would go to get it developed. And there was this nice man and family that actually owned the the, the photography place, the store. I forgot even how to, what the name of the place was. But I remember just when they were making, developing pictures, the smell of that. I just loved mm -hmm. it. And I just loved being there and being seeing different family photos get made in the process of that. So until I, when I was in high school is when I joined a photography class that we had and taking pictures for that was a pretty cool experience. But here's another thing. So at my uh, parents' place, they had two different paint. They had a painting of like a landscape and they also had the New York City skyline. And I noticed that a lot of the pictures I take are of the New York City skyline <laughs> and yep. landscapes. It was just something subliminal. I don't know, maybe it was because it was there mm -hmm. and they it just, they was like, oh, we just had that around. We didn't know that you'd actually be drawn to it. And that's <laughs> that's what happened so I, I really love just being out in nature and just it just uh, an experience being being able to take a capture a moment like a sunset I love doing that but I also try to put my phone down and just really appreciate what that is and just being present and I think that's part of bringing that what I'm seeing and witnessing to everybody else love that's it. awesome yeah so I would love to talk to you more about photography. I wish we had more time mm -hmm. just for that. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we're going to refocus on our, our topic of our podcast now. And since this is a rom-com podcast, we always like to ask our guests, do you have like one or two like favorite rom-coms that you would go to? <laughs> do I have a favorite? I secretly <laughs> love all of them. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about when Harry met Sally. Yeah. And, uh, I was just, it might sound like some of the typical ones, but I really like that. I was watching Sliding Doors a couple of weeks ago. I really like Love, that love just, Sliding Doors. That's a popular one in my house. Absolutely. It's just, it makes you think too, like mm -hmm. just a chance and opportunity of meeting people. Mm -hmm. And Some Kind of Wonderful is actually my, my favorite. As you had mentioned on Twitter, I mention it all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the time. It's, I try not to, you know, just like, I've already answered it on one question here, so I'll try to. <laughs> not do this, but just movies like those and i just really i like the notebook i'm not gonna lie the ending uh, it really gets to me so nice. <laughs> oh the notebook mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no when harry met sally is my favorite i don't care if it's like a you know you expect it because of course you expect it because it's a classic so yeah yeah and yeah i love that you said you secretly love all of them you don't have to keep it a secret here like our yeah. audience will just like <laughs> flock to you <laughs> if you want to talk right. about rom-coms yeah, absolutely. So speaking of flocking to you, um, can you tell people again where they can interact with your um, with your I guess your work? Because like having a really great Twitter feed like that is work. And of course, photography is beautiful work to look at. Where can they find you? You can find me at Neil Believes, um, N-E-I-L Believes. And, it's, and that's a funny thing about the username. Speaking of positivity, I believe in positivity. And I think just using that name would just mean like, oh, there's something there believing mm -hmm. in something, let's mm -hmm. say believing in peace. So, cool. 
whatever way you could phrase it. But Neil Believes on Twitter and then Neil WB Photography on Instagram. I do have a book. I'm working on secretly, but I'm just dropping secrets here and there for you guys. Just because I'm on. (laughs) Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. I'll look forward to when you have that ready. Yeah. So before we get started today, a few notes. First, as usual, there will be a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will warn you when the spoilers are about to start. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please consider donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com backslash everyromcom. All donations will be used towards production and hosting the podcast. And now, let's listen to the trailer for Some Kind of Wonderful. I'm going out with a girl tonight, and she's beautiful, and everybody's in love with her, and she's going out with me. I just want you to get off the dime and think about your future. She's beautiful, and obviously in the middle of some emotional shootout to consent to date the human tater tot. This is 1987. Did you know that a girl can be whatever she wants to be? I know. My mom's a plumber. I'd recommend you keep your eyes and your mind off my property. Cut it out. Why don't you mind your own business? Really, it must be a drag to be a slave to the male sex drive. I didn't say anything about sex. Oh, want to start a book club with her? Anytime somebody from the outside lifts a woman from a guat like Jen's, man, we could all find cause to rejoice. You walk out on me, where are you going to go? I want to show this girl that I'm as good as anybody else. I know how you feel. You've been in love before. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. You got a shot to be the first guy in his family who didn't have to wash his hands after a day's work. Break his heart and break your face. Do you miss me, Keith? Do you miss not being around me? This isn't the third grade anymore. Are you only 18 years old? Then I'm 19 and I'm 20. When does my life belong to me? All right, so some information about Some Kind of Wonderful. So I was delighted to see that Some Kind of Wonderful actually came out on my birthday, my 10th birthday. So it came out, yeah, it came out on February 27th, 1987, somewhere I was turning 10 years old. I had no idea one of my favorite uh, rom-coms of all time was being released. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> it's directed by Howard Deutsch. It's written by John Hughes, and it stars Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Leah Thompson. So our basic premise of the film is about Keith and Watts being best friends. And Keith is an aspiring artist who works after school at a gas station. Watts is a drummer with an unhappy family life. 
Keith becomes interested in the pretty and popular Amanda Jones, who's dating a rich jerk named Hardy Jens. When Keith starts asking Watts about what she thinks of Amanda, Watts gets jealous and tells Keith it's pointless for a guy like him to try to date a popular girl. Keith is oblivious to Watts' jealousy and can't tell that Watts is into him. When Amanda discovers that Hartley is cheating on her, Keith asks her out, and Amanda says yes to spite Hardy. Keith begins planning his date with Amanda, but as the situation becomes more complicated, will the date become romantic or combative, and who will fall in love with whom? We both did it. I know. Because that's it. It's a bit of a triangle. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of interesting facts about Some Kind of Wonderful. Some Kind of Wonderful was Howard Deutsch's second feature directing job. He had previously directed Pretty in Pink for John Hughes. So a lot of these John Hughes films, we just think of them as John Hughes films, but he didn't actually direct them all. Uh, Molly Ringwald rejected the role of Watts as she felt the film was too similar to Pretty in Pink. And speaking of similarities to Pretty in Pink, her co-stars from that movie, John Cryer and Andrew McCarthy, were both considered for the role of Keith. And Michael J. Fox was offered the role of Keith and turned it down. So I could I could see Andrew McCarthy out of those three, but mm-hmm. not John Cryer. Not me. It would be different with Michael J. Fox, but yeah. Anyway, definitely. Mary Stuart Masterston was then the first actor hired to play Watts. According to the book, You Couldn't Ignore Me If You Tried, and I'll put that in the show notes, a a link to the the sources, of course. Masterston was allowed to give notes on the early drafts of some kind of wonderful screenplay. So she said in the book, quote, I gave all these notes like, this character is written as a tomboy, but I don't think tomboy is necessarily a woman that wants to be a man. It's somebody who's just not willing to be a slave to the feminine manipulative paradigm. End quote. <laughs> High five. That's I'm re- a good one. Yeah, I'm really glad they had her input on the screenplay like as a whole, because I think like having that woman's insight um, to what it means to be kind of like a woman who doesn't really fit in with like what we're supposed to be, quote unquote. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And it, I have thoughts about her character and like whose movie is it and stuff like that. We could talk about that later. Ooh, very good. <laughs> Absolutely. I was thinking about Watts too and how she relates to someone watching the movie now mm-hmm. as well, because mm. she was just not someone you could fit in the box. She was herself. And I just love every Watts is actually one of my favorite John Hughes care, probably my favorite John Hughes character, let's say ever. Ooh. So I love yeah. that. She's my favorite John Hughes character, like full stop. Yeah. I, I love her. I relate to her more than any of the others. Uh, so one early draft of the script had Watts's character named Keith after drummer Keith Moon from The Who, but Masterson advised them to change the name. They then changed the name to Watts after Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. And the character name Amanda Jones is also a nod to the Rolling Stones. Um, they have a song called Miss Amanda Jones, and you will hear that played in the soundtrack both as a cover song and the original Rolling Stones song as well. In early drafts, the character of Amanda was also rich, but it was changed to make her lower or lower middle class like Keith and Watts. And early drafts of the script were also wackier and more comedic. And Keith's character was kind of more of a loser. So this one blew my mind. Masterson said in in one of these books I read that the original opening scene, 
quote, the opening scene used to be him. Well, how do I say it politely? Making love to a pillow. <laughs> I, I'm just so glad we have what we have the finished product that we have now. Like I'm glad it wasn't over the top comedic wacky. I, it's cause I think it's just such a like stands the test of time film for what it is. So phew, phew, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Those changes were made. The original opening sounds like a proto American pie almost. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I don't really care for movies like that. So <laughs> So during the pre-production stage, director Howard Deutsch asked John Hughes if he could direct a different Hughes script instead, Oil and Vinegar. According to Deutsch in the book, John Hughes, A Life in Film, Hughes seemed to agree to this change. But then the next day, Deutsch went to the studio and found himself locked out. And he was replaced for a while on Some Kind of Wonderful by Martha Coolidge, who had directed Valley Girl and Real Genius. And now the story gets really interesting because Coolidge, in partnership with Hughes, changed the script to be darker and more focused on class issues. Coolidge was also the one to hire Eric Stoltz. So as much as like Howard Deutsch directed this film, John Hughes wrote it, I think we're already seeing Coolidge had a huge influence on the direction of the film, you know, away from that comedic, wacky kind of focus. So Coolidge also brought in Kim Delaney to play Amanda and Kyle MacLachlan to play Hardy, which would have been wild. And she brought in Maddie Corman to play Laura, Keith's younger sister. Interesting story about Maddie Corman, who's still in the movie. Her mother had just had a stroke when she had her call back for the role. She didn't know the result of her audition, but she lied and told her mom that she had gotten the part. And then her mom died like a week later. Corman called being cast in the movie a godsend because it gave her and her brother and her father something to focus on after her mother's death when they were all feeling lost. Yeah, I saw that interview like on special features on the DVD. Uh, uh, That blew my mind. Oh, my gosh. So Corman was kept on the final version of the film, but several people were about to be replaced. So Hughes became unhappy with Coolidge's direction. Um, There's a lot of stories as to why they don't all match with each other. And he brought Deutsch back to replace her. Delaney and McLaughlin were then also fired. And several crew members quit after Coolidge was fired. So some of the remaining actors, especially Stoltz, felt pretty angry that they were expected to continue production as if nothing had happened. This all happened very quickly. Um, And this resulted in a tense first read-through where Hughes threw a chair due to the actor's listless performances. Whoa. Yeah. And then Stoltz also threw a chair and let Hughes know how they felt about the situation. So according to Stoltz, Hughes's wife, Nancy, served as a peacemaker and smoothed things over so everyone could work together. Interestingly, if you look at the end credits of Some Kind of yes. Wonderful, there's a with special thanks to Nancy Hughes in the in the credits. I'm wondering if that's the reason. I saw that. I'm like, that's a very. Yes. All I thought that was interesting. And I like this little bit of history. So despite the tension on set, Stoltz was the one who reached out to Leah Thompson to get her into the movie because they had worked on some movies together, including Back to the Future, which Stoltz had been fired from. It is interesting, the connection this movie has to Back to the Future, especially earlier, do you say Michael J. Fox was offered a role? Sure, right. And this, and some kind of wonderful, like they're all, they're all being offered the same parts, right? Yeah. 
So Leah Thompson agreed to be on in the movie partly because she was fresh off of failures on Howard the Duck and Space Camp. So she needed some work. And Stoltz had to hang in on the movie because he couldn't be fired from two movies in a row. That would have looked bad. Okay, so the sort of iconic cover image for the movie, the poster image, was photographed by Annie Leibovitz, which I found interesting. I couldn't find a budget for some kind of wonderful, like anywhere, uh, but it grossed only $18 million, which was the lowest box office for a Hughes film at that point. I wonder why. I really wonder. I was going to say maybe because it's a little bit serious, or, but so was Pretty in Pink. Like they had a more, you know, I would say mature tone more than like ha 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 comedy kind of thing. Because uh, I guess also were people thinking, oh, it's just like Pretty in Pink, but like, you know. I don't know. Like, I wonder if it's just there was a proliferation of other teen films by them, but I'm not sure either. Yeah. Any thoughts, Neil? Yeah, I'm wondering that too, especially the point about it. Might be thinking of, hey, it might be similar to Pretty in Pink, but it's a totally different movie. Yeah. Right. Feel like I have a different feel to that. And we're talking about just other 80s movies. There were a lot of like over the top 80s movies. This one is a lot more mature and realistic, it felt. So Mm -hmm. it's surprising. Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact it didn't do well at the box office, it was well received by many critics. Um, Roger Ebert concluded his review by saying, Some Kind of Wonderful is yet another film in which Hughes and his team show a special ability to make an entertaining movie about teenagers, which is also about life, about insecurity, about rejection, about learning to grow. I sometimes have the peculiar feeling that the kids in Hughes's movies are more grown up than the adults in most of the other ones. So the movie also led to personal happiness for two members of the cast and crew. Leah Thompson and Howard Deutsch hit it off on set, began dating after the movie wrapped, and were married in 1989. They are still married today and have two children, Madeline Deutsch and Zoe Deutsch, who are both also actors. So wow, it's always uh, fun when people meet like their true love on the set of a movie. Yeah, pretty great. So I just want to really briefly say, if you're interested in learning more about uh, this film or John Hughes films in general, I have a work cited in our show notes that you can always go and check out what books I read, because I think you might find them interesting too. Okay, so let's talk about our general opinion of the film. And actually, I want to start with Neil this week. Do you remember when you first saw the film? Like, what did you think of it then? Like, what and what like attracted you to this movie? What attracted me to was because of John Hughes, really. And I've watched the movie when I was a lot younger, I can't remember put the actual time period on it, but it was definitely when I was like around like eight or nine. There are a lot of things I didn't understand, but through the years of watching it, was able to fully grasp more. But then it also had, you know, Leah Thompson, Leah Thompson, who, uh, who I'd seen in Back to the Future and I was a fan of hers and Mary Stuart Masterson, who I'm a big fan of as well. So my general impression was just, it feels like more realistic. And it's talking about different classes here. And when I went to high school and even elementary school during that time period when I first saw it, there was just different subgroups or different groups of popularity and people that hung around with each other. It's kind of, it is realistic to think of just Keith asking uh, Amanda Jones out and people are just kind of being surprised about that. And that was something that would be relatable to what I had experienced in elementary school, high school. So, and uh, different groups of people that were around each other. So it really spoke to my heart about what's going on that I saw every day and seeing it on a film was just even more amazing, especially if you watch the whole movie and the ending, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. And have you watched it a lot? Like over the years, like do, do you have like copies of it and so forth or like, 
Yeah, I have watched it a lot over the years. I used to have the DVD of it a long, long time ago, but I can't seem to find that. But in general, though, I've seen it a lot, and it takes on a different meaning when you watch something, both from when you were uh, when you were really young to when you're in your teens to now I'm in my mid thirties. So it, it really means something different, but it's still relatable though, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sophia, how what's your been your experience with the film? I mean, love, love at first sight. Um, <laughs> I don't remember how old I was when I saw it. Probably, you know, like a year after it came out, I would assume. And, you know, renting DVDs and stuff like that. Um, so young, you know, 10, 11, probably. And it's just been, it's just been a mainstay. I, You know, but I've never owned it, interestingly enough. Um, but I watched it a lot. I rented it a lot. And then I probably had a bunch of years where I didn't see it. And then maybe it came up again. And I'm like, yeah, still really good. Still the best. How about you? This is this is the John Hughes movie I've seen the most times, I'm pretty sure. So um, I have a VHS tape of it. I don't think it's from when it originally came out. It's probably from when the video store was selling stuff or something like that. Um, selling off stuff. But yeah, I watched it when I was young. I always really loved Watts. Like I wanted to be a drummer at a certain point and she's a drummer. And I, you know, I was called a boy sometimes in elementary school because I was like tall and I had short hair and stuff like that. And so like, I really, and I was called a lesbian sometimes, you know, as an insult, like the way Watts is also called a lesbian. Cause I didn't like fit in with like, I guess what the feminine manipulative paradigm is what Mary Stuart Masterson called it. <laughs> I was, I was different. So she, Watts was like a sort of an icon for me, like as a character, right. I just identified mm. with her. I loved her. So watched it many, many times over the years. Um, in, in college, I think I had a brief re obsession with it because I got really into the soundtrack. I especially mm. love, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in one of the scenes. Um, the song she loves me. I love that song. Put it on so many mixtapes. I put the um can't help falling in love with you by the Celtic yeah. band on so many mixtapes as well. Just so the music became like part of my thing for the movie mm. too. And um yeah, I mean it, the movie still holds up for me. I think on this last rewatch, it the pieces don't shouldn't all work together in some ways, okay? And I'll talk about some of the things I don't mm. love about the movie as we go on. But yet when I think about it, the very fact that it's sort of incongruent and clunky, I almost hmm. kind of like it because so many of our movies today are overproduced and they have to fit this exact like outline, right? And they hmm. can't have anything weird or like, you know, off key in them, right? They have to be like set for streaming so no one will like click away. So I like <laughs> that there's a movie that takes its time and meanders around and has some just like weird shit in it, right? That isn't put there as calculatedly weird. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Yeah, it is. It's the one I watch the most, honestly. And like you said, it, I watch it almost every year. And there are just some John Hughes movies that it's just that Home Alone, obviously, I watch every year too. But uh, The Breakfast Hub is my favorite. But that's something I have to be there, like, like to watch in that time frame or in that mood. But some kind of one if I could watch anytime. And I just love watching because it always cheers me up. But mm. I can relate to the characters, like you're saying, like Watts. And there's a theme in a lot of John Hughes movies I identified with of just the sense of belonging and who are you? And you might be assigned a role or people might think you're this, but you're really not. And we're not all meant to fit in a box. We're all meant to be ourselves. So I think that's what I, just beautiful about, I love about Watts and this movie is just standing out and breaking the boundaries that the people try to conform to or conform, conform us to. 
Nice. Yeah, nice. Love it. Okay, so now let's talk about our cast and crew. So John Hughes is, of course, the writer of Some Kind of Wonderful, but we'll cover him in a future episode on 16 Candles. We'll also hopefully get around to covering Howard Deutsch in the future for his work on Pretty in Pink. Okay, so I'm going to talk about our one of our stars in the movie, Eric Stoltz, who plays Keith. Um, he was born in 1961, and as a young child, he lived in American Samoa until his family moved to Santa Barbara. I think his fam- it says his family were teachers, so that's probably why they were living abroad, but who knows. He began stage acting when he was young. He studied at USC, but then he dropped out his junior year, moved to New York, and studied acting with Stella Adler and Peggy Foury. I'm guessing on that pronunciation. Sorry, audience. In 1978, he began getting TV work, but he made his film debut in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, credited as Stoner Bud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 1985, he had his breakout role with the lead role in Mask, which co-starred Cher. I've still not seen Mask. I really got to get on that. But just prior to Some Kind of Wonderful, Stoltz had been replaced by Michael J. Fox for the lead role in Back to the Future. So again, despite any difficulties he had on the set, he had to keep going with Some Kind of Wonderful and not get fired from that film. (laughs) Stoltz continued to appear in movies in the late 80s, Um, Nothing that is particularly well known today, I have to say, but I'm kind of intrigued. I saw he's in a movie about Byron and Shelley called Haunted Summer. And then he's in a movie, The Fly 2, with Daphne Zuniga. Like, have either of you seen that? No, but I remember previews. I've seen parts of it, but not fully, if I can recall. I I gotta check it out one of these days. He also apparently had a small role in Say Anything, but I, I can't say that I remember that. And he made his Broadway debut in the late 80s, too. He had a Tony-nominated performance in Our Town, and he's since appeared in other theater productions. So the 90s is kind of when things began to pick up for Eric Stoltz. Like, I remember him all over in the 90s. He starred in movies including Memphis Belle, The Water Dance, Bodies Rest in Motion, Killing Zoe, and Sleep With Me. Sleep With Me is the movie that has the really crazy Tarantino speech where he does the Top Gun thing. Um, so maybe maybe that's how he ended up in 1994 playing Lance in Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. I don't know. So after Stoltz played Lance in Pulp Fiction, in the second half of the 90s, he had a lot more work. He appeared in projects including Little Women, Rob Roy, Kicking and Screaming, Alison Anders' film Grace in My Heart, Mr. Jealousy, Anaconda, which I also still haven't seen. It has like everybody in it one of these days. And in recurring roles in the TV shows Mad About You and Chicago Hope. And some of his 2000s work included The House of Mirth, another Alison Anders film, Things Behind the Sun. I'm calling those out because she's a great director and people should check out her stuff. Um, The the Butterfly Effect and a regular role on the TV show Caprica. In 2001, he also began directing with the TV movie My Horrible Year. And he directed several shorts and episodes of TV in the 2000s, too, including shows like Boston Legal, Grey's Anatomy, and Private Practice. I had no idea he was a director until I started researching for the show, by the way. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. So Stoltz continued to act in the 2010s, but most much of his work is now as a producer and director. Um, some of his acting work includes the movies Fort McCoy and Her Smell. 
And his main work in the 2010s was producing, directing, and sometimes acting on the show Madam Secretary from 2014 to 2019. He also directed 12 episodes of Glee. Whoa. That blew my mind. In 2017, he also directed his first two features, and both are teen movies, Class Rank and Confessions of a Teenage Jesus Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Most recently, Stoltz has produced, directed, and appeared on the TV show Bull, and had an appearance on the TV show The Good Fight. And I didn't see any upcoming projects for Stoltz, but uh, hopefully he keeps going with some interesting stuff. For sure. Uh, So I'll be talking about Leah Thompson, who plays Amanda Jones. She was born in 1961 in Rochester, Minnesota. Yay, Minnesota. She was a ballerina before coming to Hollywood and started dancing professionally by age 14. Thompson gave up ballet when Mikhail Barishnikov said she was too stocky and not flexible enough to join his American ballet theater troupe. Um, and if you see pictures from that time, I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. It's like, I, she does not have any ill will towards Barishnikov. I just want to put it in that interview. She said he was right. And the flexibility, we can't tell from a picture. So True, true. I know. I understand that. But still, makes my makes me pull out my hair. Um, Thompson does say that she's grateful as she was steered away from ballet and towards acting. So um, her first real movie credit was in 1983, Jaws 3D. And Woo! also, did you I say like, that? I like Jaws 3D. I'm one of the only people who likes it. So there you go. <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, and also in 83, she was in the movie All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise. In 1984, it brought us Red Dawn. And also in 84, she was in the movie The Wildlife, which co-starred Eric Stoltz, another film that they worked on together. 1985 was hugely successful with Back to the Future, where she plays Lorraine Baines, who's Michael J. Fox's mom in the film, as we all know. But sadly, in 1986, brought a couple flops in, well, it's also a cult classic, Howard the Duck, and one of my personal childhood faves, Space Camp. So flop schmop. Uh, those were great. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, we watched a lot of Howard the Duck when I was a child as well, but I don't remember any of it. So due to the bad reception of Howard the Duck, we talked about before, Thompson accepted a second offer for um, some kind of wonderful. Apparently she had been offered before, but turned it down. But once the reviews came out, she was like, yeah, yes, I'm going to take this job. Um, She was 26 at the time of the filming, and I think so was Eric Stoltz. Thompson worked steadily through the 80s and 90s, most notably the Back to the Future sequels. And in the early 90s, um, Leah and Howard Deutsch started a family. Madeline was born in 91 and Zoe was born in 94. And I mention that specifically because it's around that time that her film work kind of dried up. And she talks about how that was a kind of a tough period. Like she just didn't feel like the studio was giving her work, but it started her TV career. Um, and in 1994 through 1999, uh, she starred in the TV show, Caroline in the city. She also worked as a producer on the show. 2002 to 2003 brought another TV show called for the people. And this is what I thought was fascinating. So between 2005 and 2008, she did, 
there was these several hour and a half episodes or like chapters of this TV show called Jane Doe. It's some kind of a procedural where she plays a central security agent. And if I were streaming somewhere, it would be right up my alley. So I just thought those looked like a lot of fun. So Leah worked again steadily through the 2010s. In 2011 through 2017, she was on the TV show Switched at Birth. And 2017 brings Leah's movie directorial debut with the film The Year of Spectacular Men, written by her daughter, Madeline Deutsch, who also stars and scored the film, and her other daughter, uh, Zoe Deutsch. And it was produced by her husband, Howard Deutsch. So that's so exciting, a whole family production. Other directing credits included for TV, um, some of those Jane Doe shows in 20. 20- 2006 and 2008, several episodes from Switched at Birth, the TV show Mom, Young Sheldon, and Yes Friends Star Trek Picard in Uh in 2022. And she did a guest spot on the show. Uh, She also directed episodes for The Goldbergs and Stargirl. Thompson also did some movies in the 2010s, including the 2018 Netflix teen rom-com Sarah Burgess is a Loser and the Hulu movie Unplugging. And in 2018, she did a modernized production of Little Women, in which she played Marmy. Most recently, Thompson has starred in the 2023 TV show The Spencer Sisters and directed an episode of Will Trent. Coming up, Leah Thompson has an acting appearance in the movie You Are Here. So I'm going to talk about our other female lead, Mary Stuart Masterson, who plays Watts. So she was born in 1966, and her parents already worked in films and on stage. Her dad was Peter Masterson, an actor, director, producer, and writer. And her mother was actress and singer Carlin Glynn. So I had no idea she came from like a famous family already. Masterson was raised in Manhattan, and she attended private schools, and she said this background made it particularly challenging to imagine the life of an ordinary high school kid. So Masterson's first movie role was at eight in The Stepford Wives. Her father was one of the main actors, and she played his movie daughter. And rather than continuing to act professionally as a child, Masterson concentrated on school, but also studied theater and appeared in school productions. Her first role as an adult was Heaven Help Us in 1985, and she broke out critically with her role in At Close Range in 1986. And she was already connected to the John Hughes universe before starring in Some Kind of Wonderful. Her mom played Molly Ringwald's mom in Sixteen Candles. Blown away. (laughs) Had no idea. I had no idea about that, and that makes it even more amazing. Well, I'm glad we're going to rewatch 16 Candles soon. And I can't wait to like be like, oh, look, there's Mary Stuart Masterson's mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the 80s, Masterson also acted with her parents again in the Francis Ford Coppola movie Gardens of Stone. And then she also appeared with Sybil Shepard and Robert Downey Jr. in the reincarnation themed romantic comedy Chances Are, which is a wild plot. Oh, my gosh. I just watched that recently for the first time. <laughs> And Masterson appeared in several more well-known movies in the 90s, including Fry Green Tomatoes, Benny and June, Bad Girls, and Bed of Roses. In the 2000s, she continued to work in films, but shifted much of her work to TV and theater. In 2001, she produced and acted in a short-lived TV series called Kate Brasher. In 2001, she also made her directorial debut with a segment in a TV movie called On the Edge. 
In 2003, she was nominated for a Tony for her performance in Nine, the musical. And this I found really interesting. In 2007, she produced and directed her first feature, The Cake Eaters, which starred a then relatively unknown Kristen Stewart. This was like a year before Twilight, this movie. Yeah, I saw it. I watched it. It was good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A really interesting story and like a a bit of a coming of age. Kristen Stewart is amazing in it. And I totally watched it because, you know, Mary Stewart directed it. Nice. I'll have Mm -hmm. to check it out. Mm -hmm. So in the 2000s, Masterson also appeared on TV shows, including Law and Order SVU and Waterfront and in several indie movies. And in the 2010s, she continued to work in TV, including on the shows Mercy, NCIS and Blind Spot. She also appeared in the movies As You Are, Skin, and Daniel Isn't Real. Recently, she's appeared in the movies Isle of Hope and Sid is Dead. And she has two films in post-production right now, The Senior. And then this one I've heard of, and I don't even know why I've heard of it, a horror film called Five Nights at Freddy's. I have no idea why I've heard of it, but I've heard of it. And, I'm, and I looked at it like the uh, little like blurb for it, and I was like, oh, I got to see this. Why are you okay. laughing? I'm laughing because maybe I've brought it up because my daughter is obsessed with Five Nights at Freddy's and has like little plushy Five Nights at Freddy's characters. And it's this horror animatronic video game thing that she's never even played, but she knows that this film is coming out. And I'm like, you're not going to see it, child. I'm sorry. (laughs) There you go. And now I want to see it because she's got she's involved. So you can be like suck suck it kid i watched it and you can't no that's terrible it is terrible i would never tell her that i saw it (laughs) sorry so other important cast and crew are craig sheffer as amanda's asshole boyfriend hardy jens elios kuteas as duncan head of the detention kids john ashton as keith's father Maddie Corman as Keith's younger sister, Laura. Candace Cameron Burr making her film debut as Keith's youngest sister, Cindy. Jane Elliott plays Keith's mother. Molly Hagen as Amanda's fickle friend, Shane. And Scott Coffey as Ray. He's the guy that uh, Watts enlists to try to make Keith jealous. Yep. And he also plays Chip in Shag. Did you know that? I know. Yes, of course I did. I've known that for ages. Okay, okay. Chip to me. Yes. <laughs> so um, let's get into our movie. So first we open with this, what I think is one of the best opening montages in a film. What do you guys think about this opening montage? Do you agree? Yeah, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Like we're alternating in this between Watts drumming Keith is working in his gas station slash auto shop and then walking home. And then we see Amanda like sort of getting ready to have sex with her boyfriend, um, you know, Hardy. We don't really, we don't see them have sex, but it's pretty obvious that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And we're just like alternating between among these three characters. And we're, it's along to this song called abuse by the band propaganda, which is this really propulsive percussive song really works well. A lot of the music I noticed, if you notice in the John Hughes movies, it just really fits well with a lot of the scenes and the atmosphere of the films. I think the music in this movie especially. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, apparently, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but it's okay. Like, apparently Hughes, like, actually had the soundtrack to this movie in his mind and, like, in place before even the script was finalized. And, like, um, Mary Stuart Masterson said something like, 
Hughes had the tone right there in the soundtrack before they had it right in the script. So she said, Mm -hmm. eventually the script came along. This is not an exact quote, but she said, eventually the script came along to be like the soundtrack and the tone that he had imagined in the first place, which I find interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what interesting thing about this montage. So I taught a course in Korea when I was teaching over there and the students had to like write about a character in a film. Right. And, and like, to teach them how to kind of read film, because that's a skill in itself, I would show them this opening montage and I would have them write down as much information as they could figure out about the character of Keith based on what they could see first before we even did anything with dialogue. And so I'd have them notice things like, you know, where he works. It shows where he works. It shows his kind of like social class level. It shows like um, his dirty hands and it shows him walking towards the train right? And then only walking away from the train at the last moment. And it shows him looking at Amanda, watching her as um, she's as, as Hardy Jens is leaving her house in the sports car. There's so much information you can glean just from this opening. And I thought it was such a masterclass. And that's why I used it to teach students. So wow. yeah. That's very cool. Very cool, Jen. Yeah, and the, the Korean students were very interested in it, too. The one thing they couldn't really pick up very well, though, was his, like, it, they could pick up his social class because he worked, right? But they mm-hmm. couldn't pick it up from his house because in Korea, everyone's very densely packed together. And if you have a house, you're already right. doing pretty well, okay? So they're yeah. like, well, he, he seems kind of rich. like, And I'm like, well. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So, it's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. So any more you guys want to say about the opening here? I mean, I love that Watts' drum set, one of the drums has a heart on it, and she's Mm -hmm. banging on that heart, and it's like, yep, yep. It's embarrassing. I did not notice the symbol of the heart on her drum until this viewing for the podcast. Okay? Oh. Like, I'm sure it must have been there subliminally, but, like, I really didn't notice it. Like, it's like, oh, wow, look at this is, like, so symbolic of her character and it's bright red and it matches her red gloves and like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just did big up on the wrong side of the tracks things until this podcast. That's interesting how they did that. Yeah. Yeah. They're evoking that phrase, the wrong side of the tracks because he's literally on train tracks. Yeah. I love it. It's like, there's so many almost subliminal uh, pieces to this opening. It's, it's really masterfully done. I think, I don't know if it was in the script or if it was in the directing or editing, but it's great. Oh, and I should mention too. So in terms of uh, the drumming, Mary Stuart Masterson learned to play the drums for the role. She trained five hours a day with professional drummer Billy Moore, who had worked with musicians such as Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder. So like that sounds kind of awesome, actually. She got free drum lessons, basically. Well, she got paid to have drum lessons. Right. Fun. Do either of you, have either of you ever played the drums or anything or... No, no. Actually, I have a funny story about that. I actually have. Um, I used to take drumming lessons, piano, guitar lessons a long time ago. But the uh, real quick funny story, I, when I was used to have drumming lessons, there was someone that I liked and she liked drummers. So her locker was next to mine in high school. So I put my drumsticks, positioned them. So when I opened it, they'd fall out and we'd start a conversation. Oh. I my locker up. What ended up happening was, She's like, oh, you dropped your drumsticks. And she walked away. Oh. <laughs> that was it. Oh, that is adorable, though. That, oh, my God. That is adorable. And just like in a, in, in a rom-com, she would have talked to you. Damn it. Damn it, real life. Dude, that is like the beginning of a rom-com. I love yes. that. Yeah. 
Okay, and so uh, after this little opening montage, we get to know Keith's family. I also showed this part to my Korean university students um, so they could help learn to pick up dialogue. But um, I don't know if it's particularly great for that, but I think this is one of the most realistic families I have ever seen portrayed in a movie. What do you say to that? I would I would agree as well. Especially, I was thinking about that too, rewatching it. And having dinner together, breakfast together, just really sound like the conversations that were coming up and the interactions between Keith and his sister. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like there's this like constant, like low level squabbling and everybody talking about their own thing, but like also they get along. It's like so cute to me. It like really reminds me of my family dinners. Mm-hmm. My family really didn't sit down for dinner or anything, but just the just like the oh yeah the sibling cutting yeah. into each other and even being physical like there are times that keith like grabs his sister and she's like cowering and i'm like we totally fought physically so <laughs> that that rang true and yeah the set too like the whole their whole house and oh yeah the production design is perfect like it looks so mm-hmm. lived in and there's pictures that are kind of hanging it weird like you know maybe not in the ideal place that like you would put them if you were a designer right right it's it's on the couch that everybody had in the eighties, the whole thing. It's, it's just gorgeous. Uh, yeah. So like some issues that are, we know about in the family right away, dad, the dad wants Keith to be first in the family to go to college. Like he's, he's really obsessed with Keith going to college and he keeps looking at these, these brochures that have come in for colleges and going co-ed phys ed. Like, it's like that would be his dream or something. <laughs> That's funny. Like, don't they have that in high school already? Like, why would you go to college for gym? You know, like, I know that one, that one damn credit you had to get. What a pain in the ass. And then he's like, "Whoa, look, you can go to college for this. Like, mm, OK, pretty cute. Yeah, we see that Keith is avoiding this college conversation altogether or trying to. Um, we also established that he and his sister, Laura, um, squabble a lot. Like she's always going in his room and invading his space. And that is part of the dinner conversation. They have that. They seem to be about like two years apart, baby. So in the dinner conversation, um, we also find out that Keith is the weirdest guy in school, according to his sister. So that gives you a little bit of information about his position. And I love the Candace Cameron Burr character in this. Candace Cameron, of course, who would be in Full House later. She's like mm-hmm. this little precocious kid. And she's always talking about like kind of sciencey things. And she's very picky. I love this line. You know, I don't think I've had a balanced meal here. I think I'm missing one of the important food groups. And the mom is just like, oh, my God. <laughs> she really is a utterly adorable and every line that they give her she's so cute um yeah <laughs> yeah I, I really got a kick out of this precocious child character in this in the show any any more just about the family life before we move on to school just interested like as you mentioned before the family dynamic just felt realistic and i'm just thinking about the where they lived and everything and where these production designers you mentioned too, I think that's awesome. And a lot of the different John Hughes movies, they really feel like homes when you walk into it, where it's Ferris Bueller, the day off, 16 Candles in this movie. It really feels, and even uh, Weird Science, it really feels like a home, like somebody actually lived there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's a almost, like in the age of streaming, it's somewhat becoming a lost art because I'll watch like streaming videos about teenagers are movies about teenagers. And a lot of times they're either super rich looking houses or they're just designed to look so cute that like, they don't feel like real houses anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it makes me a little sad. 
I like yeah. these really I like these really lived in houses they have. So, okay, so let's move on to school. This is a high school series. We're going to school now. Keith and Watts show up to school in Watts's like total beater car. I cannot even tell what kind of car that is, but it's like it's several different paint colors. It is wild. I think uh Howard Deutsch said it was a was a Mini Cooper or somewhere in, in the in the uh commentary. Um and uh yeah, super beat up. Like barely like, running. So the car the car aside, I want to take a moment to appreciate Watts's fashion in this movie. I am obsessed with it. There was also a girl at my college who dressed up as her for Halloween one year. And I was like always thinking, oh, maybe someday I'll do that. But it would require commitment. You'd have to like cut your hair or I guess get a wig. But so she's mm-hmm. got this short blonde hair, but it's also kind of two-toned. Like it's a little bit of like a dark brown too on the bottom in the opening scene she's got like a white tank top black jacket a black cap she wears dog tags ripped jean shorts white socks and these kind of like black loafers she's got the sunglasses hanging on her uh, tank on her tank top she has double pierced ears which was not common back then yet and she has these signature red fringed fingerless gloves which i would love a pair of those if i ever found those i would buy them and then she carries her drumsticks like everywhere and like i'm just obsessed she's like a fashion icon for me what do you guys think about watts's uh look definitely iconic i love watts's look it's watts's look is something that like i would love to see come out now even more so and people if they more people of a younger generation saw the film they would definitely be drawn to watts well i'll just say about the whole costuming altogether. like yes watts is Ensemble is amazing. Uh, in the commentary, Leah Thompson talks about the costume designer put her in shorts and cowboy boots, and that's something that people do now. Like it, it came that look came back, and it was very cool. Um, I even think like Keith looks a little pre grunge to me sometimes. Hmm. Like he's hmm. always got like an open flannel shirt, and I'm like, ooh, you're getting there. That's you know, anyhow. But I think all of their costuming is fantastic and yeah watts is really rocking we find out a little bit about their families um watts tells keith that his old man nagging him about college is better than quote no old man not nagging you about nothing so we know that like watts's dad is absent in some way we don't really know why um the dog tags always made me think well maybe he's dead but i don't know hmm yeah, it sounds like she just lives with brothers. Like, there's no mom either. Yeah, I, I never. Yeah, I never really tried to put it all together. It's interesting because she's like my favorite character, but she's very mysterious in a lot of ways. Uh huh. Yeah, you get bits and pieces of her background, um, so you can kind of make something of it. But there's also not much to, about her future. So anyway, we can talk about yeah. like what happens to them later. Yeah. Well, at the end, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Elias Coteus's character, Duncan, um, now blocks Keith and Watts's path. And Duncan asks Watts, how long have you been a lesbian? And uh, yeah, I yep. he, this character ends up becoming quite charming as the movie goes on. But he's quite like like the, some a lot of the other high school students in movies of the time, quite homophobic at this point. Um, you know, he may not even believe she's a lesbian, but like it's being used as an insult, as it often was. And he then comments on Watts's chest, at which point Keith starts shoving him, Duncan, and they get into a scuffle and Duncan is sent to detention. 
after the teacher finds cigarettes, liquor, and pornographic playing cards on him. Well, keep standing up for Watts. I really like that a lot. So it just something great about some typical movies would have been just like, oh, there they were the let's say quote unquote losers of the whole school and everything, which wasn't the case at all. His sister described him as someone being weird, but he was just someone that would fit in. Like he, Keith and Watts were just like us, like everyday people that were kind of their own individuals, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I would also say that about Keith, that like he isn't afraid to stand up to people. Like we get a glimpse of that already. So um, now at the school, we see Keith on his own in the library. Um, He is watching Amanda and drawing her while Hardy and Amanda are talking. And then Hardy and Amanda notice Keith watching her. So that's going to be important. Then Watts, there's a scene in the hallway where Watts tells Keith that his father's in school Um, We see a scene with his father talking to the guidance counselor about business schools, but uh, the guidance counselor says Keith wants to go to art school. Dad doesn't care. So we get sort of a preview of that conflict. And then this is like such a funny scene to me. I don't even know why it's totally unrealistic, but the dad goes and knocks on like the window of the door of his daughter's classroom, Laura's classroom. And when she sees him, she like lets out this like, blood curdling scream like oh my god i can't believe my dad's here embarrassing me yeah and and it freaks him out he's like oh okay and he like scurries away (laughs) and then she goes can i go to the nurse (laughs) i totally totally love this scene this is definitely a a a leftover of the wacky comedy but i love it so much Mm -hmm. there's now a scene where keith overhears hardy planning to cheat on Amanda with this like young blonde girl who he's treating almost like she's much younger. He's kind of like, it's kind of creepy vibes there even. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's China Phillips in one of her very first acting roles who later on, do you know who that is? China Phillips? The name is familiar, but I don't know why. Yeah. She's uh, well, the daughter of one of the mamas and papas Phillips. And she went on to do then. um, Oh God, their album is on all the time. Wilson Phillips. Wilson Wilson Phillips. Phillips. Yes. Yeah. So that's her. And yeah, he's talking to this girl like, you know, I'm gonna, you got to be close, but not too close. I'll tell you in the back of like totally controlling and yucko. But this girl is like going for it. And she's like, oh, Hardy, he's talking to me. I'll do anything he wants. Barf. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't see. I do not see the appeal of, of Hardy Jens. I will just say that right now. Like I look at him and I look at Keith and I'm like, Keith, obviously. <laughs> right same i mean he is a jerk too so we know he's a jerk so that's prejudicing our opinions as well but still okay so amanda comes up to um hardy and sort of sees this situation but hardy totally gaslights her and it's like you don't trust me trust is the base of any relationship and like this whole thing keith is watching this whole interaction amanda sees keith watching and he gives her this kind of salute he is watching her a lot in this movie, by the way. There's a, And there's a lot of people watching people in general. I don't know how this guy has time in his class schedule to be watching Amanda all the time. I was thinking that too, one, that scene when Hardy drops off Amanda and then Keith is there and he sees Amanda coming to like their physical at like, gym class late. I was just thinking that too. I was like, why is Keith there right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, it, 
It's never felt this way, but I did have a moment of like, we could change this as some kind of like sleazy stalker movie. Like, yes. you know, two two more lines, some some music cues, and we've got like a horror film here. And he is, he's like stalking her. Gross. But I don't really actually feel that. So Yeah, that's the alternate movie, the alternate yeah. dimension. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've got a little question I want to ask you really quick, Neil. So Sophia and I talked a little bit about our high school lives in the Can't Hardly Wait episode, and also on a lot of our older episodes about teen movies. I kind of want to know just like kind of a basic thing, like what was high school like for you? Like, do you relate to any of these characters, types, or lives in particular? Like, and like, what kind of social group were you in? If you feel like sharing, if you don't feel like sharing, if you want to keep it all in the past, we understand too. Absolutely. I think... It was interesting because I've watched a lot of movies before I went to high school. So my perception of high school was more in lines of what I saw in Some Kind of Wonderful and a lot of the John Hughes movies and all the other 80s movies. But it was a little bit different. So when I went to high school, high school for me was something where it was a step to move forward to college, which I, I really wanted to get older faster. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like understood the themes of the sense of belonging and wondering like who you are and who you want to be in the future when you were at that age. So a lot of the characters I, I liked a lot, like I was mentioning with Watts and Keith, some of my favorite characters ever. I love uh, Iona from Pretty in Pink as well. And thinking about that, mm. they, there's other people that are outside of school I was more friendly with than inside school. So school was was interesting. It was more of a, a little bit of a floater, let's say. Someone that wasn't popular, but a little bit infamous because of just, I was ridiculous. But also, also just was trying to be friendly with everybody and sit with the different people at the different lunch tables. But it was it was an interesting experience that towards the end I appreciated a lot more than while I was there. I wanted to get out, but then when by senior year towards the end, I was like, wait a minute, I actually really, this time period we'll never get back ever again. And it's not a movie, but it's something to cherish. What do you, I'm curious? What do you mean by ridiculous? Just like an example, I want to. <laughs> So ridiculous as in, so I did, uh, it wasn't really, it was kind of a prank. So they were, we had it just, it's a, it's a funny story, but I'll make it a little more bridge, a little shorter here. But so, but the school had a groundhog issue and they were putting, <laughs> unfortunately, they're trying to trap the groundhogs so, so they could release them somewhere else. But I thought that was like, Hey, we can't do this. Like, well, let's change this. So my best friend and I, we thought of an idea to save, it was supposed to be safe the groundhogs and he left it to me to do it. I screwed the whole thing up. I put save the gophers and it was a picture of a squirrel <laughs> and I made a bunch of flyers and I passed it all around school and it made our top 10 list for, for the senior class. So it made save the gophers <laughs> made the top 10 because it was so ridiculous. That is awesome. What happened to the groundhogs? Were they all trapped and like moved and so forth? Yeah, they were able to find them and release them more into the wild, but but they, the school really laughed at it because I looked pretty like an idiot. But I was like these, this is good. These aren't really gophers, and that's a squirrel <laughs> on this flyer. What's wrong? With that's awesome. Well, we should definitely save the gophers and the squirrels as well. They are also worthy animals. Yes, absolutely. So, question for the group too, um, for all of us. Um, so, class is like a huge component in this story, like right away, right? So like Keith, Watts, and Amanda are all kind of like in the same social class. Like, I don't know, like lower middle class or lower class maybe. And Hardy is then 
pulling Amanda up to like the rich kids strata by dating her. And like the, the rich kids are the popular kids too. Um, was class kind of a concern for either of you growing up? I know it was like a slight concern for me. How about yourselves? I would say it, in a sense of what you wore, I think it would be more of like, hey, these people or this group wears Abercrombie and uh, and the other group wears Hollister, kind of tiered it that way. Some people, like I liked Hot Topic and Zoomies a lot back in the day. So it, it kind of went more of like how you dress was kind of what group you kind of fit in. But I understand with class, that would kind of be the class kind of system, let's say. Yeah, like we definitely had that in the 80s, too. I remember the girls who had the guest jeans. Those were the cool cool girls, right? And I was wearing like I was wearing like hand-me-downs for my aunts and uncles, which to be honest, I had some pretty awesome hand-me-downs. But, you know, at the time, sometimes you thought, well, I wish I could get like that new, you know, new pair of jeans at the store or like that new T-shirt that I really want or whatever it might have been. Or like, I wish I had like four pairs of leg warmers instead of just this one pair that I got for my aunt, right? Right. Yeah, I feel like also like it was like the class differences in Lake Geneva, or at least like the ones that determined popularity were kind of really minor, but like they existed. Like there were people who lived up on this hill that were like supposedly like the rich kids and a lot of those were the popular kids. And I lived in a supposedly a quote unquote bad neighborhood, which come on, it was not a, yeah, yeah, no, no, she laughs. She laughs because it was like a beautiful tree lined street with two story houses. But we also had like members of like the immigrant community like moved into our neighborhood. So that was like the quote unquote bad neighborhood. Cause of course, like, you know, the classism and racism like will often go hand in hand. Right. Like it's, it's so weird. Like even in a community where people are living in almost in very similar social stratas, people seem to like to divide themselves by these really arbitrary right. distinctions almost. But I do remember growing up and my parents arguing about money. I do remember it being a concern, sure. like a worry. So I think it yeah. like definitely like I identified with in all these eighties movies, I would always identify with the underdogs, with the lower class people, you know, mm-hmm. even though we, we, we did eat, sometimes we had to eat like the same crappy food all the time, but we always had food. So I can never say that we like were poor, but like, you know, you'd see people going on fabulous vacations every year or getting like the best clothes and, and then treating you kind of poorly sometimes because of it. And it it did have an effect, I think. Yeah. Um, I, we were definitely just middle-class. Um, there were definitely things about money. No, I mean, I never got everything I wanted. Shopping would be like at the mall, like at the gap. That was, that was what I liked, but it would be like, you know, mom had saved up a bunch of money for it. You know, it wasn't just like every weekend. Um, and I would have babysitting jobs and I had some cash of my own and that was fun. But, oh, there was something about that. See, to me, Jen, you lived in town. So everybody who lived in town was like doing doing good to me. I lived out in the country. I lived 10 minutes out of town. So that like nobody went out there it was like what do you oh all the way out there and like to try to give directions was like the worst chore in the world and so to me you you getting to live in town was the real deal that was yeah (laughs) yeah no no babe we were not considered cool in our i'll just like i'm just letting you know right now it's weird it's it's ridiculous (laughs) i think yeah so i didn't identify definitely not with the super rich people not with like super struggling like these characters you know in the film and i was definitely a floater as well not super popular definitely not an outcast or anything but just kind of in the middle 
So like, uh, Neil, you were like at a private school where was it like a private school with a lot of rich kids at it? Or was it like kind of just a like middle of the road kind of a private school? Like, did you experience any of these really rich people? It, and it's, it was kind of subtle in the sense because my best friend, he had a, when he was like 16, he was driving BMW. Then he had a Corvette uh, Camaro. He was driving to school as well. And just kind of what? subtle things that you notice. That's not but, subtle. Like, That's out loud. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. There are people with really nice cars there, really nice houses and parties. Meanwhile, I'm on the middle class. Yeah, so I, they, I was on the school bus the whole, all, all four years. So it was it's kind of a, a mix of different uh, groups there, uh, middle class to, you know, people that were very affluent or well off in some yeah. squad. Yeah. Like whether you ride the bus or drive a car or a ride in somebody's car is also like one of those high school signifiers, right? Like uh, <laughs> I, I rode the bus until my friend Jenny got a car and then I felt kind of cool because we could stop at McDonald's and get hash browns on the way to school. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Class is like such an important thread in a lot of 80s movies. I don't know. Like, I feel like it was more prominent as a feature in films in the 80s than it is today. So we now have a scene where Keith talks to Watts about what she thinks about Amanda Jones and tells Watts that he finds her interesting. And um, I wanted to do a brief every rom-com theater on this one. I want to do Watts because I'm sorry. I just want to do Watts. Do either of you want to take care of Keith? You're welcome to, uh, if you want to, Neil. I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally fine. I didn't want to jump and take over, but yeah. No, sure. not at all. Go ahead. Okay. So Keith tells uh, Watts that he thinks Amanda is interesting, and here we have some dialogue between them. It's because she's beautiful, right? Guys are so sickening. Really, it must be a drag to be a slave to the male sex drive. I didn't say anything about sex. Oh, You want to start a book club with her? I didn't say that I wanted to do anything with her. I just think she's interesting. Don't go mistaken paradise for a pair of long legs. So that's our little uh, excerpt. (laughs) That was great. That was great. That book club line kills me every time. I love it. Yeah. There's such great lines in the movie. All of it. All of it. You want to start a book club? Don't go mistaken paradise for long legs. Like, awesome. So good. She's like, would you rather swallow uh, blood than pride or one of the, I forgot the line she said, mm-hmm. it was great. Yeah. Yeah, Watts gets a lot of the good lines in this in this film for sure. Yeah. So Watts um, tries to convince Keith that Amanda is shallow and materialistic and would not be interested in Keith. And like, I mean, the audience, you can tell she's jealous right away. Like you don't need to be told. But Keith is like so oblivious. <laughs> So how about you two? Do you think there's anything interesting about the character of Amanda Jones, like aside from her appearance? Like, why do you think like the Keith particularly finds her attractive or interesting, as he says? Hmm. So it's a great question. I think it's more of something that's, uh, I wouldn't say something he strives to be a part of that group because she's also middle class as well. So I think he just was piqued his interest because he saw her with someone that's a jerk and he thought he saw potential of her as being not as that group that she was a part of. She was something beyond that and more in lines of where he's where he was from. I think I was going to say something along the same lines. Like, I wonder if he thinks it's interesting that she's, you know, from their side of town, but she's hanging with this crowd. Like, I don't know, maybe he's intrigued by what that looks like. You know, how do you get there? I don't know. And that she's freaking pretty. That's about it. 
<laughs> Do you think there's like an element of wanting to rescue her from Hardy in a sense? Like, is could that be a thing? I would say so. Yeah, because he's witness Hardy like cheating on her and stuff like that and talking down to her, you know. And we already know that he has, you know, the way he cares for Watts and stands up for Watts. I think he's got a, a thing about him that doesn't want, he doesn't think people deserve that kind of thing and wants to stand up to people. Hmm. Yeah. So then another question is, so Keith is finding like uh, Amanda interesting. It's already obvious that Watts has a crush on him, as we said, mm. like, have you ever had the experience of having a crush like on a close friend and they just like totally were oblivious to this? Like, have you ever had that in your life? That was my whole life. <laughs> I hope they were oblivious looking back. I'm like, my God, how did they tolerate me if they knew, you know? So. Oh, Sophia. <laughs> when you say that was your whole life, like, okay, are you being literal here? Like how many, like, it was it a lot of different people or the same people or like, um, I, whatever, like through high school, there were at least a couple friends that I was like, Oh, just pine for in college. There were a couple friends that I just was so in love with and never said anything. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I did wind up marrying a close friend, uh, just not the one I thought. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I had a I didn't see I never got close enough to these guys that I was friends with that I had crushes on to like be this kind of Watts Keith relationship right like I probably would have been happy just to have that like to have their kind of like being together and just like hanging out like I did have a friend like in high school that I was really into I eventually asked him to prom and got rejected but <laughs> but like I tried so that's good but like yeah I've never had a close guy friend where I didn't either tell him or where we were that close. Right. I dated a friend after high school uh, who we started as friends. Yeah. How about you, Neil? Did you ever have the pining situation or, or maybe you were pined for who can say. Oh, <laughs> I, yes, I can admit to that. There is a, there's a situation that comes to mind. Uh, there's someone who was friends with in college who I actually had feelings for her at first, but then we became friends and then it wasn't until much later on. It just, we were dating different people on it like at different times. So the timeline never worked out for something to be beyond that. And then one time when we were together for my birthday, she admitted to having a crush on me during a certain point. I was like, she's like, you had no, I had no clue. I had no idea. It was kind of like with Watts and Keith. I just had no clue. I was oblivious about it. I wonder, like guys have told me sometimes that guys have a harder time picking up on cues than girls do. And I wonder if it is oh, yeah. true. I think it is true. Just like <laughs> That's it's funny. absolutely true. I had no clue. I couldn't pick up on any of the clues from that at all. But it's 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 interesting how everything how that all works out together. Okay, this is how I'm gonna just tell this part of the story of me, and my husband. I told our mutual friend I have feelings for him. She told him. I wanted that to happen. I didn't tell her that, but that's what I wanted. He knew. And yet when we were hanging out, etc., and nothing was said yet, he still read like my nervousness. Cause I was like nervous to be around him. I'm like, Oh my gosh, got my, my, my mind has changed about him and whatever. He still read it is that I didn't want to hang out with him. Oh. And he still didn't believe that I was interested until like I asked him to hang out after an evening of hanging out. He's like, oh, maybe now. And I'm like, you knew. She told you. And he still was like, yeah, but I just took that away. And I'm like, my God. 
What? <laughs> uh, yeah. How about that? Yep. Yep. This is why I've had a lifetime of asking guys out. So. All right. So let's go on to the next section. Um, so we have Hardy, like while Watts and Keith are having this conversation about Amanda, Hardy pulls up with Amanda uh, to get his gas uh, tank filled and, and probably also just to harass Keith. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Keith's doing this. Keith's working on the car. And in the meantime, uh, Hardy says, so you like looking at my girlfriend, huh? And Amanda apologizes for him. And then he says, I'd recommend you keep your eyes and your mind off my property. <sighs> so what do you guys think? Is is Hardy like the worst like uh, asshole in all rom-com history? What do you think? Or all 80s movies history or teen movie history? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, James Spader yeah. has some great performances with that. Oh, good call. Oh, geez. I would 100% rather deal with Steph from Pretty in Pink. Than, or, yeah, I would 100% rather deal with Spade or Steph than this fucking Hardy guy. Like, even, like, when, when like, he gives the money to Keith to pay for the gas, he drops it on the ground, for God's sakes. I'm like, oh. I don't know. Steph is pretty gross, too. Ooh, this, the, well, they're both Hughes characters. He did not like wealthy people. He did, <laughs> He really felt the classism in life. And he talked about that in an interview. So man. I, I always think of the, the, a lot of these movies as if they all went to the, I know they're in different settings, but they all went to the same high school. What if, and they would oh, you, yeah. you definitely see Hardy being in the same circle with Steph. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. I actually, I kind of ship now. I kind of thought to myself, Steph and Shane, you know, like Amanda's friend in this movie, they'd be a good oh. couple. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> Maybe would. not, though. I don't know. The, the girl he's with in Pretty in Pink is like a lot different. So who knows? But I don't know. I could see it. Anyway. <laughs> or Do you maybe, think he's the worst? Oh, sorry. Maybe Shane's Steph's sister, actually. They kind of look sort of similar. So yeah. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Now we're going really off. Um, we are like going off. Topic. off. So um, yeah, I think for me, I think Hardy is my new top asshole of teen, 80s teen films. I'm going to, I'm calling it for him. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll maybe change my mind if I rewatch some of the others, but everything he did in this movie, I was just like revolted by. <laughs> yeah. There's not one redeeming quality. Yeah. He's literally well, kissing someone else in front of Amanda, then telling her he's not, he's comforting her. It's just, right. the guy was just a complete jerk. Yeah. And- huh, which begs a question about like character arc and like, you know, characters being completely bad and like, but they, do you know what I mean? And they're, Hmm. Yeah, having kind of cartoon villains was kind of common in the 80s, I think, though, like both for action movies and teen movies, you know, mm, like, mm. like having like really relatable main characters and then having some of the uh, nemesis be like nemesis, having some of the bad guys be just kind of like totally just bad altogether. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think anyway. Yeah, that that's okay. a good observation. Mm hmm. Okay, so we back at school. Oh, back at school, we get this scene where Hardy drops off Amanda late to gym that we referred to before, and Keith is watching her again. Amanda gets a detention from her woman gym teacher. Like way back in our episode on the half of it, I talked about good teachers in movies and bad teachers in the movies. I love yes. this gym teacher. She is like firm and serious, but she cares about her students, and she's like, "Nope, you're getting a detention. This is nonsense." Yeah. <laughs> uh, although she's a little like calling amanda slutty she's like you know because 
Do you think she's? I like, don't think so. I think she's I'm, just calling her on her lie that like she was okay. just talking. You know what I'm saying? I didn't. She doesn't say you're a slut, but she's like, if you just wanted to talk, you would have stayed at school, which is probably true. Don't you think? Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I and in her mind, that. in her mind, she could be like trying to prevent teen pregnancy or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? I like that. That actress too. She's in a lot of stuff. Like I looked her up. I forgot her name, but I'm like, oh my god, she's everywhere. Just a, a character actor. I just like she regulates. Cool. She regulates her class. She's like she's mm-hmm. there. <laughs> yeah. And then Keith pulls the fire alarm in back inside so he can get a detention too. Oh Keith. Oh Keith. You're so naive. I, I really okay, but I that's a two second scene. He pulls the alarm and he's just standing there, and then a teacher comes bursting out of a door, like, What's up? And he turns around, no dialogue. He just sees what happened, and then he, he just like you see him go like, Son of a bitch, like internally, like you damn kids, and he points him into the classroom, and I'm like, Yeah, I feel you, teacher. That's right. <laughs> damn kids. So this detention scene is like one of my favorite scenes now. I didn't really notice it as much like when I was watching. I would always think about just the romance, but I fucking love this scene now. So, oh, you can swear, by the way, Neil, if you want. (laughs) So Keith dresses, is all dressed up for detention. He's ready to see Amanda. But instead we get this like hilarious little like mini montage of like Elias Coteas as Duncan and his gang of like tough detention guys just like Mm -hmm. doing all this stuff to demonstrate like their dominance of the detention room. So this one guy tears a book apart. The other guy just like who looks like a metal band dude just like flares his nostril really like dramatically. Like you said, Sophia, um, Duncan is scratching under his nose with a knife. And then this guy, this must have been a joke, right? Like they just have this guy. And he breaks a pencil dramatically. I, I don't think it's a pencil. I think it's a plastic pen, which is a little harder. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go look at my evidence. Even a pen. That's not that. Ex- that is not that impressive. I, I could right, break a pen. That- <laughs> like, it's like, this is like a whole thing, though. I just found this scene so funny. And there's ominous music playing, too. Like, yeah. Am I the only one who's in love with breaking a pencil guy? You must yes, be. I think actually one of them Shane was in love with towards the end, but I guess we'll talk about that. Oh later. yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I just I just looked at the pencil. It's totally a pencil. That's all I'm gonna okay. say. Oh, all right, okay, all right, all right, not bad. I feel like the, I feel like the pencil guy was there for comedic effect. I really do. Agree, disagree. Agree. Agreed. But as a teacher, it must hurt to see a pencil get broken just like that. <laughs> know because later this in this in this detention room though like um duncan's like carving up a whole ass desk like where is this dude (laughs) yeah where is the detention teacher watching watching out for all of it funny this is like the wildest detention hall i just like um oh yeah and then keith goes is this detention and then duncan says actually it's your mother's house and we're all having a party my husband said this is like a scene like you'd see in a military movie where like people are hazing like the new recruit or a prison movie or something you know what i mean oh yeah 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 that's hilarious yes very much so so meanwhile amanda's gotten out of detention by flirting with a teacher the detention teacher can't stand this guy gross like you you shouldn't you shouldn't be breaking the rules for a student if she flirts with you and also he doesn't clearly isn't even in the detention room or he's letting people carve up desks so no um and then as the movie progresses we see keith getting friendly with duncan and the detention guys which is going to be important later on 
Um, they get friendly because they're both doing art. Like Duncan's carving the desk and making art. And then Keith is drawing and he pulls up, he did a great scene where he pulls up the whole desktop to show Keith his drawing. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I, I feel like I'm the only one who finds this as funny. Neil's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it makes me miss it, miss those like kind of desks from back in the day. Yeah. Did you, So either of you, did you ever have detention? I had detention once. Like, and I, I think I thought it was going to be more like this movie and it was a total letdown. Did either of you ever get a detention? Did you have any ideas about what it would be like based on John Hughes movies? Yeah, I thought we'd all be in a library on a Saturday, but no, the, uh, with the <laughs> detention, it was, yeah, it was kind of, I had the same experience of thinking it was going to be a lot of fun, but it was completely different. Yeah, I remember like we were just in a room and like they were just like, now be quiet and focus on your homework because they wanted us to do homework. So we just did homework and it, everyone was quiet. There was nobody like super colorful or interesting. It was just like boring people. And I was like, well, this I don't feel bad. <laughs> OK, what did you do? How old were you? I don't, I think it was middle school. I was late for school or something. Yeah. Oh, lame. Yeah. What about, I don't know. What about you, Neil? What did you do? Well, the, the, we can't speak of it, but it was, <laughs> it was okay. Like just um, interesting, interesting times. It was it was not related to gophers in any way, or no, yeah. it was not freeing freeing gophers. It was not okay. Uh, yeah, I got detention once. Uh, it was in some computer class, and the teacher was couldn't tell. It couldn't get a read on him. Like he was like kind of dry funny and seemed to be okay but then i was doing something and i said fuck underneath my breath and he heard me so he made me like eat lunch there that was my detention weird yeah yeah it's just so weird to me that you could get detentions for saying swear words like that's so odd i can't remember i I can't remember that time anymore yeah yeah Anyway, this myth of detention was really like, like made big by these teen movies and then it just really mm-hmm. didn't live up to it. Yeah. yeah. I love these detention guys. I love them so much. I kind of want their side movie. I want a sequel, actually. I'll talk about that when we get to the end of the movie. Well, I, I don't want it now. It can't happen anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we get another scene with Watson Keith. Um, there's a couple of these like where Watson Keith are just going over the Amanda situation. Okay, so here's another little dialogue between Watson Keith. Amanda Jones doesn't know you, doesn't care about you. You're trying to jerk off the impossible. You've been in love before. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. Really? Who have you ever been in love with? Those are like two different sets of dialogue between Watts and Keith. Like, first of all, she's telling him, like, um, you're not going to be able to get Amanda. And then he's saying, you don't know how I feel. And then they're talking mm-hmm. and then they're broaching the topic of whether Watts has ever been in love. And she kind of blows that off that she's like, yeah, she, she doesn't, she won't answer like who she's been in love with. It's like, at this point, I'm just like, Keith, knock, knock, like anybody home. Yeah. There are certain scenes are just like, how does he not know this by now? So now we have a scene, there's people watching people all the time in this movie. We now have a scene of Watts watching Amanda in the locker room. She's like trying to like compare herself to, to Amanda. Watts is dressed in a t-shirt and boxers and another student says she looks like a boy. Um, Again, I can relate to that so much. Um, She looks at Amanda who's posed with one leg on a bench. She's wearing this like tiny camisole and these skimpy briefs and she's shaking out her like beautiful long full hair. And then you see Watts looking at herself and like comparing herself negatively. It kind of just breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just like not thinking you're enough and like, 
I don't know. I bet though, like if you were to talk to Amanda, she'd be like, oh, something's wrong with me too. Like everybody, unfortunately. But I do remember things like wishing like, oh, I wish I had like bigger breasts or something or like, like more like in 16 Candles where you see Molly Ringwald looking at that um, blonde woman played by Haviland, Haviland Morris. Yeah. We now get a really pivotal scene in the movie where Keith actually asks Amanda out on a date. So this comes about because Amanda has caught Hardy again with that young blonde girl and she breaks up with him. Hardy says, you walk out on me, where are you going to go? Hmm? And Keith is coincidentally calling her over at this moment. She goes right over to Keith and Keith asks Amanda out and she says yes. And oh my God, when you look at the Stoltz's body language in the scene, his portrayal of nervousness asking her out is so good. Yeah. You did, yeah. I did agree. you see all his like little micro expressions and how he just slightly stutters and like, oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah. And it's, it's not over the top is it, you know, it's just subtle enough and you yeah and i i think all i i'm gonna call out like leah thompson here and her acting here and her facial expressions like you know she gives she gives hardy like a really good like stink eye like yeah i'm gonna go to that guy and then but i just don't like the way she treats keith in this scene but because she's like oh you're asking me out and kind of like okay but somehow recovers and you know is nice enough to say yes or whatever um but yeah stoltz is gold here yeah, like it made me remember early experiences of asking people out before I was brave enough. It really it really made me remember that the 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 pounding heart and like the adrenaline. It, it's totally re- relatable from things I've experienced back in the past as well. So, and it's not it's not just like he sees her alone in the hall like he's calling her across a busy street where all the kids are hanging out and cruising or whatever like pressure man like it plays for the scene, but then I wonder what, like, what was he thinking? Like, that was his choice that to ask her out there. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah, I'm going to make you cross the street for me. I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, Amanda tells uh, her friend Shane and Hardy that she has said yes to Keith. Um, and then all while this is going on, Watts is watching Keith and Amanda talk. And she looks so sad, but she looks so pretty and cool, too, with her awesome outfit. But, yeah, it's very sad. Okay, now we're going to get to the family, another family dinner. Keith is unusually happy, calls his dad and mom by their first names. And I love this. This is such a dad line. He says, she's mom. I'm dad. And you're nuts. (laughs) Perfect. He is perfect. I like him. John Ashton is such a great dad in this movie. Like he's the perfect 80s dad. And I loved him in uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Like he's, he was awesome. Yeah, he's so funny and he's and he cares so much and it's great. Mm-hmm. So I've got a little clip about now this family dinner where we're going to hear um, Keith's sister's perspective on the situation. This is not true. It can't be. This has got to be like the most hilarious rumor ever floated, right? What are you talking about? Okay. I'm in town last night. I hear everybody talking about how Keith has asked this girl out. No way. (laughs) Check it out. This girl is popular. She's beautiful and obviously in the middle of some emotional shootout to consent to date the human tater tot. What did you do to her, Keith? Threaten her life? 
I just asked her out. Well, her boyfriend's a man, for Christ's sake. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, he's extensively easy on the eyes. He's a total buck, and you're... You're... Keith. Is she nice? Mother, the girl is sex. God's sakes, I'm eating. Glad you got time to think about the girls. Between the girls in your Arctic, you don't have time to think about anything important. Dead and buried before you get off your butt and apply to a college. He's up, Dad. Any fool could get into a college. Only a precious few may say the same about Amanda Jones. Am I wrong? So great. Brilliant. Great dialogue. I love that scene. And it reminds me of back in high school how rumors would spread. It, the event just played out in front of us now. It's like she heard about it, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I love this this whole family relationship so much. So we're back at school again. Um, this I wanted to bring this up. Duncan congratulates Keith on scoring the date with Amanda. And this is like, I love this character, but he's always like saying these terrible things. He says, punch her apron one time for me, huh? And it's like, you know what that means. Even mm-hmm. though I looked that expression up on Google, could not find any evidence of it existing outside of this movie. But you know, he's being like, fucker one time for me right yeah he, refer- he also refers to like um hardy as a guat which i could not find any definition for that online either I've, I've it's like john hughes was making these like slang words like and just out of whole cloth you know unless either of you has heard of evidence of these before somewhere else i've not heard evidence but i've heard in a lot of the commentary that um he made up his own dialogue. He got a lot of license to do that and just like ad libbed a bunch of stuff. So that oh, might have been oh, the actor. Did? Yeah. Yeah. That might have just been all okay. him. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. That makes more That makes sense too. Then it could be Canadian slang then because he's from Canada, I think. So. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, but it's like, I love this character on one level. On another level, it's kind of gross. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, it's really treating Amanda like kind of this object and status symbol, which is something we'll come back to later. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Watts has recruited this guy named Ray to make Keith jealous by paying attention to her. And he's kind of dumb. (laughs) Once again, we get this theme of people at school think she's a lesbian that Ray tells her. And then I love her line, though. She says, Ray, this is 1987. Did you know that a girl can be whatever she wants to be? I don't want to go too deep into this interaction, but do you have anything you guys want to say about this jealousy maneuver? If only it had worked, but I don't think he was so one-track-minded in terms of Amanda Jones to realize about that what was going on in front of him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just, he looks vaguely confused for a second, but then he's right back on business, which he, he wants Watts to let him uh, borrow her car to pick up Amanda, which... I would probably not use that car to try to pick up anybody. <laughs> but at any rate, um, he wants to borrow Watts's car and then he can't get it to start. And after he's already offered Amanda a ride home, she gets him a ride home instead with Shane. Shane wants Amanda to break up with him in the car ride, like to say, we're not going out on the date anymore. So that's her motivation there. But it really bothers me that Keith does not like tell Watts where her car is at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. He's kind of left her. Yeah, it's it's very sad. So in the car ride with Shane, um, Keith compliments Amanda on her earrings, which are diamonds. But we, we find out she has borrowed them from Shane, which is also going to be significant later. And Amanda does not take an opening, a really easy opening to back out of the date. Because Keith actually says, do you want to back out of the date? And she says no. 
which I understand. I would hate to like do that to somebody. I probably would have felt the same way in high school as well. So now Hardy comes into the art room one morning and tells Keith that like he'd like Keith to bring Amanda to his party on their date. And um, Keith is suspicious, but Hardy is gaslighting Keith the same way he does to Amanda, where he's like, whoa, you got to you got to trust me. Do you have like an inferiority complex there or something, dude? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I can't stand him. So smarmy. So smarmy. It's very manipulative and yeah. just like so disingenuous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Keith uh, seems like he was aware of that. I do like you get a moment of like Keith in his in his space in his art room early in the morning painting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listening to his music too and what have you. Okay, now we have this big club scene where uh, Keith is at a club waiting for Amanda to maybe show up. Um, Watts calls him on it. Did he, did she say she was coming? Like, and he's like, not in so many words. And she's like, in any words. <laughs> and he's, he's just kind of waiting there. And Watts, meanwhile, is kind of her heart's breaking a little bit. And she has like a confrontation with him. Um, at the same time, there's a band called the March Violets are performing the song Turn to the Sky. So this is on the soundtrack. And this is also, this is the real band performing in that scene. And yeah. Now we're going to hear a little bit of Watts talking to Keith. Do you miss me, Keith? Do you miss not being around me? This isn't the third grade anymore. She doesn't love you. It's a joke. It's all a joke. How do you know? I'd bet my hands on it. You don't want to make that bet. Yeah, I do. I've been thinking a lot lately about you and me. And I came to a conclusion that I didn't want to deal with. But now that we talked, I can't hide it anymore. I think we'd get along much better if we didn't spend so much time together anymore. Why? Because I'm driving you crazy. And you're driving me crazy. And I'd rather not see you and have you think good things about me than have you see me and hate me. Because I can't afford to have you hate me, Keith. The only things I care about in this goddamn life are me and my drums and you. That line, that line. I know. I don't know how he can't, like, see, like, or even even in there, if they, he thinks, wow, we're just really good friends and, and she's being really truthful with me to not, like, I don't know. He does call after her, but yeah. He does. He does. The music, everything about that scene, I just, it really, everything just flows so well together. I really, uh, it's something I wonder as well. I was like, how's Keith not picking up on this yet? (laughs) But they have so many great scenes together. And I like the chemistry between Mary Stuart Masterson and Eric Stoltz. Yeah, I think this is one of the strongest ones. And I think this is the first moment in the movie where you see exactly how deep all Watts' feelings run. Like, mm-hmm. she's like either crying or almost crying in this scene. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Uh, we get a little scene now of Hardy trying to corner Amanda and like kind of get her back. I think he follows her into the girls' locker room. Ugh, Hardy. And mm. this is where I love the gym teacher so much, though, because she is not intimidated by him. And she basically shoves him out of there. Like, mm-hmm. I love that gym teacher character so much. Okay. And Amanda reiterates that it's over and throws a ring that he gave her at him. And yeah. 
But he threatens her. He's like, it's going to be a really lonely year for you. Yeah. Yeah. Now we get a scene. Laura is trying to impress her younger friends that she's now part of the cool kids by association. They dare her to go over and join the cool kids then. And by doing this, she uh, just kind of hangs out in the background and overhears Hardy telling his friends that they're going to beat Keith up and then go back to business as usual. And good girl, she just like runs straight home to tell her brother. Yeah. Yeah. I I think what, again, maybe it's just Hughes or these 80 films, like you see siblings pick on each other and drive each other crazy, but also really deeply love each other and have each other's back. Like that, that's what's happening here. And I feel like that is so true of siblings, at least in my sibling experience. Yeah, me too. Okay, so Laura's interpretation of what she overheard is that Amanda's in on the in on this whole beating up plot too. So that's what she tells Keith. So now Keith is under the belief that the whole date was a joke and that like Amanda's in on it, but he's going to go through with the date anyway to stand up to Hardy. So yeah, Keith tells Watts all about this and then they have this scene where they're lying down side by side on Watts's bed and Keith apologizes to her and says, you always hurt the ones you love. And then she says, if so, when are you beating the shit out of Amanda Jones? And he does this little nervous laugh there. Like, I swear, this is the moment for me, the first moment where I feel like maybe Keith is realizing that he has feelings for Watts. What do you guys think? Do you think he has a little tiny moment where he figures it out? No. No? Okay. Mm-mm. Probably not. It wasn't more so towards the end. But there is a when you look at pictures of them together, you could see there's some kind of connection there. Yeah, I mean, he goes right to her when he finds out this bad news, you know, this is the person that he tells all this stuff to. Yeah, but I'm just saying you always hurt the ones you love. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's like it's a phrase that like maybe he's noticing that he used the phrase. Anyway, that's what I think. But I don't know. I feel like there's maybe a subconscious revelation happening that he's not ready to deal with. She's definitely, oh, I can see that, you know, he's not ready to deal with. She's fallen to pieces, though. Oh, well, yeah, of course. You feel yeah. her. That's that's how I, I don't, like, identify with Watson, like, being edgy or different or whatever, but the feeling of, like, I'm so close to this person. Yes. And, and not close enough. <laughs> the deep pining in that scene is just, like, it's just, like, radiating off of uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. She did such a great job. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so now, oh my God, this scene, this scene, (laughs) the scene that is kind of called the kiss that kills. I think this is probably without the scene, the movie doesn't work. And what's crazy is that like this scene was written later in the shoot. Uh, It wasn't there at the beginning of shooting. Hughes recognized the need for another scene and wrote it kind of on the spot. So in the the lead up to the scene, Keith has taken all this money out to, to put it, to take Amanda on this big date to kind of impress her and like show off, like to, to the school that he's, that he's worth something to, that he's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what he's trying to prove, but he's trying to stand up to Hardy and show that he's worth something. Basically. Um, there's a scene where they're buying these earrings that he's then going to give to Amanda. And then they're back in the garage and Watts is asking him like, well, what are you going to say to her? Like, like he says, well, I'd rather be natural. And she says, well, what is going to happen if she wants to kiss you because she's experienced. And this leads into like, one of the best scenes ever where Watts is offering to like help him practice kissing. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and take a listen to this. I'm sorry. All our clips are in the row this week. uh, Listeners. It's just, that's what was available on YouTube. So here we go. Great. Well, I just think maybe 
you should consider whether or not you feel you can deliver a kiss that kills. What, you think I can't? If you say you can, you probably can. Well, no, I'm, I'm no expert. It's cool, I was just gonna work on it with you, but if, if you're comfortable, great. Wait, 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 wait. How, how do you work on it? Pretend I'm a girl, okay? I mean, pretend I'm her, Amanda. I know it's a big stretch, but try it. Come here. I didn't mean to scare you. Alright. What do you do with your hands? Well, it depends. No, it doesn't depend. They go on her hips. Okay. Do it. Look into my eyes. <laughs> Come on, I don't have to do this. I know, you know, I'm sorry. Just grow up a little. She'll probably do this. How do you know? I watch a lot of TV. Close your eyes. <laughs> I have like a visceral reaction to that song. Like that song puts me into the kiss in this movie. And like, it's one thing to hear it on the podcast, everybody. But if you, for some reason, haven't seen the movie yet, right? I'll link to this scene in our um, show notes. Go and watch this on YouTube. Go and watch just this scene, this kiss. It is masterful. Agree? Disagree? Oh, totes agree. Ooh. I just love the dialogue. The whole sequence from this into the miss of them getting ready with Amanda Jones is just perfect. But I love when he's like, hey, you're blushing. She's like, the day I blush. I think just everything about that is perfect. It's my favorite kiss scene. In mm-hmm. any movie? In any movie, yes. Yeah, I'm getting to the point where I think, like, I was trying to think of what are the other great kisses. And I actually did a little Twitter poll on this, too. And the other two that I came up with, which for me are, like, legendary kisses, are A Room with a View in the Poppy Field and Last of the Mohicans at the Fort with Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe. That is also amazing. But just, like, I think it might, this might actually be the best one. And I think it's in the little details where it's not just showing you two people's mouths, right? They show these little cuts of, like, um, she p- wraps one of her legs around him. You see her foot go behind his back and in a close up. And then you also see a shot of like his hands tightening on her butt. And you're like, yes, like that. Mm-hmm. You feel the passion escalating. And then mm-hmm. that's in, in, con- in concert with this song, which I think it's about, you know, realizing that you like somebody loved you. Right. And it's mm-hmm. a great poppy song and it like just works so well. Like, and the music actually gets louder too while they start kissing. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, yeah. Would you add anything to the to the details of this, or 
just that it's perfect. And uh, how Howard Deutsch talks about it, that it was the, the cinematographer that helped him uh, put that together. And, and I just thought that was really great. He gives a lot of credit to the cinematographer for, you know, doing this master shot and then doing these coverages, these pieces and bringing it together. Yeah, the cinematographer's name is like um, maybe Jan or maybe Jan Kieser, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's one thing I would uh, change about that. And if, I think if anyone who's experienced something similar to that, it kind of takes you back to that time or a song that reminds you of it, too. So it's just, I always identify the song to that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I used to play this song so much in college. Like, I associated it with every, like, unrequited love situation I had. Cause I was like, well, maybe there'll be this moment where like, it'll all come together. Right. And like, we'll just, ha- we'll kiss and it'll just be like magic and it'll just like spark everything to life. Like, that's like the kind of moment this is because you, Keith is like, Eric Stoltz, once again, does these great things, like little tiny micro gestures. You see him kind of working his mouth after the kiss, you know, like how you do mm-hmm. if you've had a really good kiss and you're just like still feeling it in your mouth. You see that. Yes. He says, you're blushing and he's blushing when he says it. And he's kind of laughing. And it's like, it's so perfect. Like they portray it so well. And of course we have Mary Stuart Masterson. Um, Watts is the one who pushes Keith away. Like he's just into this kiss, right? Like what would have happened if she hadn't pushed him away? I wonder. I know. I think she got a little overwhelmed. I, I, I have to say, I would not have had the guts to like, do this practice kissing thing with like some guy that I had a huge thing for who is my friend though. That I'm like, Oh, w- would somebody do that? Like really usually? I don't know. I feel like I tried actually. Oh really? And, yeah. I was like, sure. Let's try it out. And like jokingly, but like totally would have done it if they like went for it. And I was, you know, but I think I got, you know, it was like, Oh, haha, And, I feel like I did it. I would have to go look through journals. I would, I was brave enough to ask people out or tell people I was interested in them. Like, but I was, I would never be brave enough to do something like that. Oh my God. I don't know. So it's, it's interesting to me, but I love it. I love the scene. It's perfect. And I think it really like supports so much of the rest of the movie. Cause I think at this point in the movie, we're about to go into the spoiler section. So like, I'm not going to tell what it is, but this is the point in the movie where things start not making much sense to me, but because this scene was oh. there as scaffolding, it kind of holds the rest of the movie together for me, I guess. I don't okay. know. So the spoilers are going to begin now. If you have not seen some kind of wonderful, please uh, go on and find it, seek it out. And we're all three telling you that it's a great movie. So what, what more do you need? All right, totally. now spoiler, spoiler section's begun. You can talk about, allude to anything that happens in the rest of the movie. Now we get this, um, now we're about to get ready for this date. And and Neil, you say you particularly like uh, this getting ready montage. I love it. And actually, when I was in college, I used to play this song when I was like, this man, it was before I went out and got was getting ready. Just thinking of this scene. No way. Yes, yeah. beer in the shower, just getting ready, just trying to, <laughs> like singing along, yeah. 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 It's from the Rolling Stones again, Miss Amanda Jones, like, which is not a song that I've, I don't really listen to the Stones much. So my main exposure is probably from this movie, funny enough. Yeah. And like we get um, Amanda's getting ready. Keith's getting ready. Watts is getting ready and she's putting on some lipstick. And then we also see Hardy getting ready just a little bit too. And then um, Keith's reverie in the showers interrupted when his dad flushes the toilet. Uh, Yeah. Which is a thing. Parents did that. 
and then the water goes cold and we get this scene between dad and his and Keith where they finally like uh confront this like issue of college because dad his dad has found out that he took all his college money out for this extravagant date I gotta say watching this even though I don't have kids now watching this in my 40s I'm like oh your dad's right dude (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant Jen (laughs) it's true sometimes our parents were right damn it and yeah being a parent and I'm like damn it like all the just like micro steps away from parents and like gaining your independence and i'm like oh shit it kind of hurts but i'm like okay this is what you want like strong independent functioning kind human beings but then then they grow up and it hurts like his dad's not right to force him to go to business school right but like i'm thinking to myself keith like keith if you want to be an artist you definitely want to have money Money is going to be useful to you. So I don't know why you're blowing it on this like date and these like earrings just to prove a point to some assholes you're never going to see again. Do you guys you feel me here? Yes, feel you, feel you. I'll even say this again in the commentary, like Deutsch really had a hard time with these earrings. He's like, how's this going to play? And like, he didn't like quite feel it himself. And they were all kind of like, what about these damn earrings? So... I can see that. Yeah, I feel like this is a vestige from like, I guess the original, original idea for this movie was something about some guy planning the perfect date for the most popular girl in school. And that was way more the focus was this like this guy who plans the most over the top date ever. And it feels Mm. like like maybe this is something that could have been abandoned out. You know, what do you what do you think, Neil? Do you like it just the way it is? Yeah, but I totally understand that, too, as well. It was just like. Was that the, did this call for an overtop date? Uh, what was the going to be accomplished from that towards the end with everything? But it all worked out. Well, let's say spoiler alert, it all worked out in the end mm-hmm. the right way, which I thought. But yeah, I do agree. But especially the earrings it made me think of being that age and spending money on something that I really thought, not didn't really think it through, thought it through, but it was kind of irrational in the bigger scheme of things, which you're right about the dad being right, but also he kind of needed that to kind of break away from the expectations that was put on him. Yeah, yeah I think this, yeah. This is a really good fight between a dad and a, and a kid too. Cause like, yeah. I think for some, like there might be a line where you'd think, oh, this is too much. This dad's like abusive or something. But like, for me, it was like exactly like the fights you would have with your parents. They might yell at you. They might even swear. Like the dad's like, where's the fucking money, Keith? And I'm like, it sounds really bad, but, but I'm like, it really reminded me of fights I had with my mom. My dad was really quiet and he was like less likely to explode. If he exploded, you knew something was really wrong, but my mom Mm -hmm. would yell a lot and it was just like normal. And like, but you felt the love too, at the same time. I thought they did a really good job showing that line, like keeping the line right there. But I also like the way the dad starts it. Are you in trouble? Is something the Mm. matter, you know, Um, like he's giving his kid the benefit of the doubt and like, can I help you? You know? And then it's, he doesn't start off with where's the fucking money. Like he gets, he, he, he had to journey there for a minute, you know? So I think that's a total appropriate, not appropriate, but like as a dad, as a parent, you know, that was a great point because it's more of a conversation instead of less of like accusatory and saying like, Hey, you're not doing this. Why aren't you? Where's the money? And projecting whatever, 
his dreams and aspirations from earlier onto him just now they've kind of had some common ground after this conversation but it yeah. all started because of how he asked them yeah, yeah. And, and keith says you never listen and he's like okay i'm listening like again like i think this is a i think that's a big deal even for an 80s dad you know like you can I don't know, or just a parent role. You can also see a parent being played out as pretty one dimensional and just a hard ass, but this dad is trying, you know, yeah. I think it's yeah, really they, sweet. Yeah. Hughes also, Hughes also had a really great dad in like, you know, 16 candles, like having a heart to heart with his daughter. Like I think, yeah, moms, some of the moms are good too, but like dads in particular seem to be a thing in the John Hughes universe. Mm. Yeah. These good mm. dads, pretty in pink too. These like dads who yeah. have heart to hearts with their children. Yeah. So and at one point, Keith says he's going to put the money back. Like, I don't really understand what he means by that. Like, is he going to give the earrings back eventually? Or is he just going to work really hard for another four years? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, good question. I've kind of forgot about that line and that like, I'm going to make the money back. Of course I am. I thought this through and I'm thinking, geez, exactly. How are you going to do that, kid? What do you mean? <laughs> So Keith then tells his dad why he's doing this date with Amanda Jones, how he wants to show that like, he's just as good as anyone. And and the dad's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're only 18. Keith says, then I'm 19. Then I'm 20. When does my life belong to me? And I think that's really deep. It's like hard to mm-hmm. find a, a way to let go. Like where, where's that point where you become an individual? You know, it's like such a big issue for many people when they're that age. All right, we're coming now to the big date. So for this, this date scene is like insane in this movie, right? You have Watts is dressed as a chauffeur driving this like super fancy car. It's like a three-part date. They're going to like a fancy restaurant, an art museum at night, uh, the Hollywood Bowl. And then they're eventually going to, no, yeah, four-part date. And then they're going to go to Hardy's party. Um, just in general, like what are some things you you thought about this date, this big date scene with Amanda and Keith being chauffeured around by Watts. I just love how they're able to access the museum because of Duncan and Duncan's dad. I think it's pretty, it's a nice touch there. <laughs> yeah. Duncan's dad is like the security guy. Yeah. That is, like, yeah, I love how they brought these detention guys back in to be like part of this story. It's great. Yes. Yes. They help break into things and set things up, but the best that Duncan's the skinhead and his dad's this like security guy, cop person, like that moment of humor is pretty great. I mean, it seemed amazing. I thought like that's how dates were supposed to be or something like that. You know, it's like, no, not really. Yeah. This date is totally over the top. Like first out this like fancy restaurant and like he's ordered caviar. Cause right now he thinks that Amanda is part of this joke. And he's basically mm-hmm. trying to show her, look at how good I am. Look at what a mm-hmm. fantastic. And there's a little combative energy between them at this point, too. Mm-hmm. You know, because Amanda isn't in on this. She's not trying to, like, fuck with him. But he's kind of, like, now picking at her a little bit. Yeah, and then the art museum scene, it should be noted that Keith takes her to this art museum at night so he can show her a portrait he has painted of her, which has been hung up on the wall. Like, that is pretty OTT. What do you guys, what, what would you think if you went on a date and somebody revealed a portrait they'd painted of you? I, I would say that's a kind gesture. Oh, okay, okay. You're you're ready for it. You're there for it. Okay. Now, yeah, first date. Yeah, very over the top. Oh my God. I think I'd be a little horrified. Yeah, that that's like a scene from the, the, the thriller movie, the stalker movie that we oh, could yeah. also have. Yeah, the, the Except- parallel universe 
horror yeah. flick. Yeah. Yeah. Except then you'd see like all the other different portraits they also painted before like Howard Deutsch was happy with the the one they got. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they'd be like littered yeah. all over the place. Yeah. No. <laughs> Terrifying. <sighs> yeah, I think she got to keep that painting too, if I'm not mistaken, that Thompson. I think she got. got yeah. They, they kept one. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So now we, we have a scene at the Hollywood Bowl, which is like so common. And I think we've covered like at least two other movies so far that have scenes there. Keith kind of confronts Amanda about being in on the joke. But Amanda, he kind of figures out that she's not at this point. Um, but she's talking about like, you know, she doesn't like to be alone. She says, I'd rather be next to someone for the wrong reasons than be alone for the right ones. And Keith says, I'd rather be right. And at this point, like Keith then also confronts Amanda about using him, like um, in terms of this date. And then Amanda tells Keith that he's using her too. Do you want to, do you want to do this dialogue, Soph? Sure. And you didn't use me? God, you hypocrite. What's hanging in that museum, huh? My soul? No, it's my face. You're using me to pay back every guy with more money and more power than you. Yeah, yeah, girl. Yeah, she, yeah, she's right. That is the like thesis of all of these damn movies. They're like, I'm in love with this person, and it's like you don't know them. They've never talked to you. They don't know who you are. And you're what is that? My soul hanging there? No, my face. And Leah Thompson says that was stuff that like she really felt in real life and loved the opportunity to be able to say that. So, yeah, it yeah, was her moment. Yeah, she said in, to Entertainment Weekly. Um, People, people don't see who I am. They just see the image of me and project their thing on that, which is the truth about being a pretty young girl. I like mm-hmm. that I got to say some of the stuff I was feeling at the time in the movie. Yeah, yeah. you're so right, Sophia, because it is like so many of these movies, so many rom-coms in general that are told sort yeah. of from a man, man's point of view. A lot of times there's this like beautiful, unattainable girl who he's never right. talked to. And right. it's like, you're supposed to believe this is true love. And it's like, this movie is really calling all those movies on their shit to some extent. Yeah. And that, but yeah, we, we keep making them that way and we keep telling those stories and we watch them and put up with it. But yet that's why I think this film is so brilliant and so good and is just like kind of one of the best love stories. And yeah. Like, think mm-hmm. about how many of the stories in love actually are just somebody who's like thinks somebody's hot and like pines away from them from afar. Yeah, yeah, I and love that it. Reminds me of Can't Hardly Wait too. Uh-huh. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Jennifer Love Hewitt says exactly what you're saying to him when she didn't realize he wrote the letter at the end. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm just trying to think of the scene exactly where she just he's projecting onto her all these things he didn't even know her. Yeah, I'll talk about that because it's in my double features, actually. <laughs> yep. Um, I'll talk about that a little more, too, there. So, yeah. And so at this point, though, they've had this heart-to-heart. Keith apologizes at this point to um, Amanda for kind of like, yeah, he, he realizes he was using her. But then he gives her these earrings and he tells her they're like every cent he's ever earned. And this is another moment where it's like, it could be that stalker movie. It's a little over the top. Like, what would you do if somebody gave you something and they said, this is worth all the money I ever made? Yeah, uh, again, like on their first fucking date, like me, <laughs> so bad. I would run the other way. Neil, you? how about you? Would you think it was nice? <laughs> I don't think it was. Uh, it's very, it's very um, early 
for that, but it's I would want to hear them out and hear what they're thinking. Well, Neil, I'm, I'm Neil. I'm going to say I think you are very nice and like um, a nice guy. Like like a lot of guys get really put off, even more than a girl would be get really put off by stuff like that. So I'm going to say it's really good of you to like want to understand somebody's perspective and hear a little more. So mm-hmm. so points for that. Like that's cool. I think like I did receive some gifts from somebody who like admired me in college, but I wasn't into them, which makes a big difference. And he tried to give me all these gifts to try to get me to like go out with him. And it was like, it was a lot. Like he just kept leaving things on my doorstep. And eventually somebody on my hall had to like kind of a big guy kind of told him, Jennifer doesn't want to get these anymore. You gotta, you gotta stop. Cause he wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't back off. So. Right. You can, yeah. you can feel like there's an obligation and she does like try to give the earrings back at first, but then she yeah. accepts them. And I'm like, whoa. And then she's the one who kisses Keith, but mm-hmm. Keith, Keith does kiss back. And we mm-hmm. see this whole kiss unfold from Watt's perspective way up in the, like the stands of the Hollywood bowl watching mm-hmm. them. Right. So like Amanda kisses him. And I wondered about that. Like, so is she into him now? Like, is this, we're, we're having feelings now or, I don't know. I wonder, what do you think? I think she does have some feelings for him. I think she does develop a a crush on him during the course of this date because of the way he treats her, the way he's willing to apologize to her and listen to her. So we're going to go to Hardy's party now, which I just realized, you know, the expression party hardy or Hardy's party. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that was intentional or not on their part, but yeah. Um, yeah, they come into the party and right away, Hardy is a total ass to Amanda. He, mm-hmm. he asks Keith, did she do you? And then he says, I'm glad you got her used. Oh, I can't stand him. Scuzz. Yeah, Keith lunges at him again. He, he stands up for himself. He stands up for the people he cares about. But yeah. um, Hardy's friends get him off of Hardy. And Hardy says, take him outside and beat the shit out of him. Yeah. But Amanda stands up for him then and says, deal with me. Like you're the one, I'm the one you want to talk to. And she offers to go back to Hardy, which, ugh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, Keith doesn't want her to do that, but like she's trying to offer herself up. So I now have a clip of uh, Hardy's response to this. What do you want? You know what I want. Okay. Okay, you want me back? I'm back. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, it's not that easy. You're gonna have to convince me. I want you to beg. Let him go. Come on, you're begging. Beg. Oh. Bastard. You're gonna have to beg. I don't think it's gonna be necessary. No, I didn't know Jen's lived in a hen house. Did you know that? Jeez. Must be a hen house because I don't see nothing but chicken shit. I don't want any trouble with you, all right? My parents are going to be home in a little while. You leave now and we'll forget everything. Wait, man, I just got the bullshit. Please. I'm here to wipe the floor with your ass, and you know it, and everybody knows it, and you deserve it. I think it's safe to say that this party is about to become a historical fact. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Okay. Look, I'm perfectly willing to forget this. Okay? I see no reason carrying this on any longer. It was a joke. If it's gone too far, it's over, okay? 
You want the truth? You want the plain truth? You're over. Are you just gonna leave? <laughs> There isn't anything I can do to him that he hasn't already done to himself. I wish I could live with that. Well, thanks. Again, Duncan. No problem, no problem. You guys go along, okay? We're just gonna stick around here, try to crank up this party to a nice, respectable level, okay? Okay. Okay. No, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not gonna mess him up. I'm not even gonna touch him. I'm just gonna make him cry just a little bit by just looking at him. I played this scene as long as I did because there's nothing more satisfying than those uh, Duncan and his detention friends coming in and busting up this party and, like, yeah, yeah. taking over. It's a, it's a great, like just humiliation to hardy yes it's perfect and amanda slapping him twice yes can i just say though too that this makes kind of duncan the hero of the movie like keith is a hero he stands up but duncan's the one who actually saves the day and like so what i was talking about i wanted a sequel i wish back in 87 or 88 or whatever they would have made a sequel where we see the love story that slowly builds between duncan and amanda jones Whoa! I like Whoa. it. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> That's rad. I mean, it's a it's a little far fetched, but I could see it. I could see it. Like, but Duncan has to learn to be like a little like more respectful towards women. Like, not with this punching her apron one time for me business. Okay. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what about his girlfriend with no skin? Right? Oh, he does like, have a girlfriend. You're right. Damn it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, sorry. it's another triangle, and we'll see what comes of it. So. You're right. He yeah. does have a girlfriend. He, he draws her picture. Well, that's over. That dream is over. No, oh, it's not over. Old. We can work it. We can work it. What do you mean? Or the relationship, I was going to say, with uh, Shane and one of Duncan's friends. I forgot the guy's name, but that that oh, yeah. little thing at the end. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Shane and, Shane and that guy so much, but like, I would have liked to see... I, Duncan already has a girlfriend, but if he didn't, I would like to... I would have watched that movie. I would have watched the Duncan... <laughs> An Amanda movie, whatever that might have been. I don't know. <laughs> like maybe, rad. maybe they're both a little lost in life, and they both end up at the community college together or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Jen, this is fantastic. Can you like just fanfic this? Like, put it out on um, something. Think, you know, running a podcast, I do not have time for fanfic anymore. Alas, I wish I did. Somebody, somebody, take take that idea and run with it, though. Please, please do. I will. I will read your fanfic. I do love how Duncan does put his head on Amanda Jones. Yes. Uh, yep. So yeah. cute. Yeah. He kind of put cutely puts his head, head on her shoulder. Like that's a, like Elias Coteas. I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Cause he mm. almost steals the show in this movie. Yep. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, every actor is so strong, but he really is a great, they actually added more scenes with him because people liked it so much what he was yeah. doing. And like all the cast spoke, spoke highly of him they're like he was so great like what a great guy and like yeah i love that yeah and he's gone on to have a pretty big career as well so he sure has yeah he has and because of this movie it made me a fan of him like because of the ending like made me more a fan of him towards like any other thing he's done he's always been dunking to me since i seen him as a kid that's right that's right <laughs> me too me yeah. too 
So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I like that Keith is just content with saying like, it's you're over. And just like, you know, he hasn't, you know, there's nothing I can do to him. He hasn't done to himself. I like that. He kind of realizes that Hardy's like already a loser on his own. Right. Maybe, yeah. maybe Keith, you could have realized that you didn't have to go all the trouble of buying his earrings and doing this whole thing, but no, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. Um, they, so Amanda and Keith leave the party kind of triumphantly. Amanda's like laughing. She's happy with him. Uh, Watts goes up to Amanda and says, I'm sorry if I misjudged you. So, and Watts has kind of accepted the situation, I guess. But then Amanda sees the way that Keith and Watts are looking at each other. And they give us as the audience a little hint. They show a flashback to that kiss scene in mm-hmm. Keith's mind, which is to mm-hmm. cue us that like, oh, Keith is feeling something. I feel like this is a sign that they didn't quite write the movie quite well enough like in the end part that's my feeling if you have to put a flashback in uh maybe you shouldn't have gone so far in on amanda i don't know what do you think is it okay for you guys i'm okay with it i do understand that just like finally it clicks with Keith after everything this is the moment where it's like hey there there it is and he sees watts and then notice then notices that that's his love The before they go in, you know, she's like, I'll be here. And he's like, thanks, you know, and they walk out and she's still there, you know, and I, for a second, I wondered, did she call the, the detention guys? I thought the same thing. I was like, did she, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, nobody has cell phones, but yeah, but somehow worked it out for them to be there. Cause it was the, was the detention guys on their own. Like, let's just show, you know what I mean? That wasn't part of the plan. I don't think, um, so that's part of it, and like, I don't. I, so if that's the if that's the theory, he walks out and sees her and is like, "She's got my back." Hmm. I can go with that because as a younger person, none of that phased me. This like, of course he loves her. Now I needed, a, yeah, a little something to be like, what clicked for him in that moment. Um, a couple things Deutsch says in the commentary that he wasn't sure about that cut back to the kiss. He wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do or not. Um, if they needed it or was the look enough or whatever. And Hughes really wanted it to end this way. This is the, this is his dream ending. So like for the one way it works for me is he's kissed Amanda. Now mm-hmm. he maybe has the opportunity to be with Amanda. Now he has everything he thought he wanted. Like maybe mm-hmm. that's how it clicks for him. Maybe it's like he mm-hmm. has the thing that he thought he wanted. And now maybe he's realizing, is it what I want? Like, or, or is that kiss that I had with Watts? Like, did mm-hmm. that like mean something more to me? Mm-hmm. I don't, that's the only way it kind of works for me, but I had to put it together for myself really. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. I was thinking that like, Hey, that finally clicks. So we do see, we now see, yeah, Amanda is now noticing that Keith and Watts are looking at each other like a certain kind of way. And Watts has already kind of walked off, but Amanda gives the earrings back to Keith and says, I'd rather be right. And then she says, in your heart, you wanted to give these to somebody else. And like, Keith knows what she's talking about at this moment. But like, I always wonder, like, what if Amanda hadn't made this realization? What if she hadn't given the earrings back? Would Keith have just kept like going out with her to be nice, to be polite? Mm -hmm. Um, What do you guys think? Hmm, I've never thought of it that way, but that's a, you know, it's Amanda really was the catalyst for this, for that too, even though she saw it happening. So I could see maybe they would have continued on with the date. I don't think it would have ended on Keith's end at that point. 
Yeah, yeah. It, makes, it makes me feel like, like, I feel like Keith would have, like, since he has been a little bit oblivious, I wonder if he would have just kept going out with Amanda for a little while or even longer. And like, I don't know. That's the mm. one thing I find vaguely unsatisfying about the movie, to be honest. Well, I this is where I think Amanda's an awesome character and well-written is that she's like, I'd rather be right. And she says, it's going to feel good to stand on my own. Mm-hmm. And then it's exactly what Amanda Jones needs. She needs to like not go along with the crowd because she's yada yada. She needs to find herself again a thesis for all these other rom-coms where it's like oh i'm just gonna go with you blah 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 like take care of you do some self-care and what have you and then in your heart you want to give these back i think that's really like lovely and like she's a good person she's a good character she's gonna go places baby they made the part they made the part much richer and i'm glad that Mm -hmm. like leah thompson also brought such warmth to it in the end too so Yeah. yeah yeah Okay, so we come to the end of the film. Keith runs after Watts, um, calls her name. Now at this point, Watts is crying, um, and she lets Keith show, see her tears. And then he scoops her up. He scoops her up and picks her up and kisses her. Another really wonderful kiss that we have in this movie. And so if you guys could do the really quick dialogue they have after oh, sure. the, the kiss. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Yeah, well, you're stupid. I always knew you were stupid. Why didn't you tell me? You never asked. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> okay, I actually, I have a problem with that dialogue. Why? What do you mean he never asked? Like, I, I, I don't know. Is I don't understand it. Tell me, play, play that out for me. Well, he never asked. He never asked her out. I don't know. I guess maybe it's her being a little traditional. That's how I read it. Like, why didn't you ask me out? Why are you going out asking Amanda Jones out? All, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's funny because Watts is such a, like an atypical woman character. But at the same yeah. time, I'm wondering if she wanted to be, you know, asked out in a kind of gender essentialist kind of way. Like, that was way more common. Like, it's way, it's still uncommon, though, for women to ask men out. Even today, in the 80s, it was even way less common, I think. You know? Yeah. I mean, I totally wanted that, too. I wanted to be asked. Yipper. That's how that's how I read it anyway. That's how I read this. Oh, okay. I just like I the like... part where she's like, I always knew you were stupid though, because that's like such a friend thing. She's still ragging on him, just like a friend anyway. Mm-hmm. Finally, we're getting the, the truth here. Everything reveals itself. They finally realize, or he finally realized what's going on in terms of feelings towards her. And I love how it was mentioned before about manager was saying about the earrings, giving that to somebody else, because it rightfully went to Watts, who looked good wearing his future. Yeah, that line. Yeah, you look good wearing my future. Yeah, but I keep telling, I keep wanting to tell both of them that, like, though, like, no, return the fucking earrings. Your future is paying rent. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, totally serious. I know. I'm like, God, what a waste of money. Are they both that vain? No. I'm so unromantic in this case. I'm just like, kids, like, you just want to take the money and, like, get yourself mm-hmm. a decent apartment somewhere. Like, Neil, do you, are, Neil, are you a romantic on this? Are you, like, fine with, with this decision on their part? Um, <laughs> I kind of agree with that. I don't know about like, uh, because he had other things going on. Maybe they might could have used a better car. Also, I mean, <laughs> that, right? that would have been a lot, would have been a better gift. Oh yeah. Seriously. Right. Like, yeah, that car is on its last legs. My God. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's an interesting choice, but it makes for an, a nice symbol, I guess. I don't know. 
One more thing I wanted to put in. They you, they show the characters walking <laughs> off into the distance, like while the the song by Lick the Tins, Can't Help Falling in Love with You is playing, which is a great song, by the way. But my husband's watching this and he's saying, and this is what he said, where are they walking to? The car's the other way. <laughs> Again, a realist, not just not romantic. Like, oh, they're just walking into the clouds. That's no, funny. he's totally romantic. But like, I mean, he has a point. Like... <laughs> Yeah, they just left the car there, just walk away. Yeah, and they left the keys in the fancy car too. Like, <laughs> they're gonna leave it back at Hardy Jen's and just like hope nobody takes the car. I don't know. That's anyway. Maybe Amanda will take the car. Yeah, maybe she'll she'll drive it home for them. <laughs> there you go. She needs to get home too. God damn it. Yeah, that's a great point. How is Amanda getting home? How are they getting home? I mean, we're, like, what was the distance of that walk? All these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very answered. concerned about how these people get home. I know what's going to happen. Duncan's going to drive her home in the fancy car. <gasps> yes, of course. I love this way you're thinking, Jen. All right. So let's see. Masterson said about the film that the film taught the audience that friendship can be sexy, that a long-term partnership is built on respect and humor as much as it is lust. Which, you know, I think I, I like that. I also think that that kiss had a lot of lust in it. But still, I like that. Um, I like what she's saying, though, that like love between friends. You don't see it in as many rom-coms as you might expect to, given how common it is as a way for people to fall in love, really. Well, it's my favorite, like Anna Green Gables, baby. Okay, so let's, Um, I, I really wanted to quickly touch on the soundtrack before we do double feature recommendations, but just kind of quickly, are there any songs that are standouts for you on the soundtrack? Yeah, I love all the music on that. I was trying to think of that, the nightclub scene, that song when Keith was painting before um, Hardy comes in, that, that song that I was playing, there was a couple mm-hmm. of different, uh, it reminds me of like we were talking about, a lot of the John Hughes movies, the music is just so good in them. And it just really key to a lot of the scenes and everything, especially the ending there. So it all works out very well together, especially the confrontation, that song it's playing. But I really love the music to this movie. Yeah, I wish I'd written down which uh, song goes with which scene, but I am putting in the show notes a site that does do that. So if you're curious about oh, what, what song is playing in which scene, it has those. She Loves Me by Stephen Duffy is like my pretty much all-time favorite. I, I play that on repeat, but I also love the Can't Help Falling in Love With You cover so much. Um, yeah. 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 And these are a lot of these are like really obscure bands that like either broke up like pretty soon after this movie came out or like just people weren't like they weren't huge or anything. But it's like a well put together mix like John Hughes must have really been into music at the time. OK, um, shall we do double features? Yes. For my first double feature recommendation, I chose Fried Green Tomatoes from 1991. And the reason I chose it is another movie where you get to see Mary Stuart Masterson. And in fact, you get to see Mary Stuart Masterson playing a similar kind of like tomboy kind of role. Like we didn't really say that she was a tomboy in our discussion, which is kind of funny, but she's like, uh, she's an atypical woman. She dresses kind of more like a guy and she does things that are associated with men, right? Basically in this movie though, we get to see Mary Stuart Masterson playing a different kind of a tomboy it takes place in two time periods. So in one, she's with Mary Louise Parker and they're kind of um, made possibly involved with each other in a lesbian relationship. It's never really made a hundred percent clear. And in the present day, we have Kathy Bates and Jessica Tandy in like having this relationship. And the whole movie is a lot about women taking control of their lives and kind of um, 
living, being independent and living on their own. And it ha- plays out in so many interesting ways in both storylines. If you've never seen it, you really got to check out Fried Green Tomatoes. Fantastic cast all around. Very heartwarming movie. My second double feature recommendation is The Sure Thing from 1985. This is another movie with young people, but they're college students. It stars John Cusack and Daphne Zuniga, and it's directed by Rob Reiner. And the reason I'm choosing it is because it's another story about a guy who kind of wants to get together with this like perfect image of a girl that he has in his mind. In this case, he thinks that there's this really hot girl in California that he's going to have sex with, right? And he ends up going on a road trip with his classmate, who's kind of a, just a normal but pretty looking girl played by Daphne Zuniga. She also has to go to California. And through the course of this uh, journey, he may start to have feelings for somebody besides the perfect girl. So I think it's just interesting uh, as another movie about image versus reality when you're falling in love. And have you guys seen The Sure Thing just out of curiosity? Yes, love it. Yeah. No, I never did. And oh, I babe, love- you. Yeah, I know. Get on top of that soon because it's also got a great cameo by Tim. Well, not a cameo. It's got a small role by Tim Robbins, which is also hilarious. Perfect. Okay. And then my third double feature recommendation is for Can't Hardly Wait from 1998. And when I watched it for our podcast this time, I couldn't help but notice that the perfect girl character is also named Amanda. I feel like that had to be on purpose. And like you said, Neil, there's the confrontation there's a scene where like Amanda sort of confronts her ex very similar to the energy and some kind of wonderful. The only thing that isn't similar is sort of the decision Amanda makes at the end of the movie, which I don't want to spoil too much, but like, I think there's enough commonality to make it an interesting contrast of where this character was in the eighties, as opposed to where she went in the nineties. So definitely check out can't hardly wait and check out our episode on can't hardly wait, which we just released in our high school movie series before this. So I chose for double feature The Year Spectacular Men from 2017, directed by Leah Thompson and starring her children and produced by her husband because I love the family affair and families creating together. And um, it's a take on millennials in love. Um, It was written by Madeline Deutsch and she felt like there needed to be a story, a love story and a relationship story for people, millennial people. And um, so over the course of a year and different relationships and how all that plays out. So check that out. My next recommendation is Space Camp from 1986, starring Leah Thompson, because I didn't know it was a flop back then. We loved it. I saw it five times in the movie theater with my sister. Dude, yeah, I I only saw it when it came out on TV and video, but I love that movie, too. I feel you. So, yeah, a bunch of kids are go to space camp and they accidentally get launched into space and they have to get back home. Fantastic. And my other recommendation, my third, is Benny and June from 1993, starring Mary Stuart Masterson and Johnny Depp. And that is a love story between two quirky people and a story between a sister and a brother and um, kind of everybody finding their own way. It's beautiful. I love that one. Nice. And it's interesting. Some of the movies you picked were the ones I like, oh, like a lot, like uh, a fried green tomatoes, one of my favorite movies, all their comfort movie. I've watched that movie. Every time I watch it, I watch it more than once. Like, oh, that's wow. it. And then same thing with the, it was interesting. You picked the sure thing. I, that's my favorite. Uh, John Q's like 80s movie. So oh, cool. when I saw that, I was like, all right, let me go with saying anything. 
I went with the obvious one for number one was Pretty in Pink. Even though they're different movies, things play out in the end, maybe a little bit differently, both movies, but John Hughes, it's just automatically, for me, it would be a back-to-back. I love both movies for different reasons, uh, but uh, that would be one of my picks. There are memorable characters in that movie as well as in some kind of wonderful as well, and I think they do pair well with each other. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think that they're as similar as sometimes people say they are either, but, like, they both play with class so well. Right. Unlike the class yeah. divisions in high school. So I totally agree with you. Great um, double feature there. Definitely. And I was thinking when we were going through this, like, I was thinking about the party scenes in both movies and mm. the different class dynamics with a lot of the relationships going on. So it does play well off of that as well. And like, what would it be like if they all hung out together? I was thinking that too. Let's <laughs> yeah. go down that road, like fan fiction, all that another time. But this, my, like you said, my favorite characters are Iona from Pretty in Pink and Watts is my number one favorite character, some kind of wonderful John Hughes movies. Yeah, uh, great and characters. Perfect, absolutely well-written and very well-acted. Annie Potts and also Mary Stuart Masterson, both amazing. I was going to go number two with Say Anything. And I was thinking of that as well, because it does have an Eric Stoltz connection, aside from him being in Say Anything. He also worked as a production assistant on the movie. Oh, no and way. just to kind of get better experience, at which obviously later helped him out with directing. So he was like getting coffee from what I read and doing other little things. And then he also was in the movie too. But and in regards to the dynamic there of like two opposites there, with uh, John Cusack's character and just really uh, that love story going on there. I thought it was very interesting in the parent you note know, that her father being involved. Say anything for me kind of closes out the 80s on like those 80s like team movies or th- that time period. So mm-hmm. I think that'd be a great pairing as well for that. And the third one for me is Trojan War. Now that movie, this movie came out in 1997. I don't think it's that good. It's kind of like a little crazy. But the reason why I said this is because I feel like they kind of took a little bit of the plot from <laughs> some kind of wonderful and put that on this movie with the ending. So that it kind of, it were, when I first saw the movie, which was when I was really young, I was like, this looks very familiar. It doesn't have the same heart. As it. It's really over the top 90s, what you would think of along the lines of American Pie kind of. But the with Jennifer Love Hewitt, it kind of plays into the, some kind of wonderful kind of they, you could see the inspiration they took from it yeah you have the honor like this happens very rarely that somebody actually comes up with a double feature that i'd never heard of before but you have introduced me to a new movie through your double features i went and looked it up like the whole plot and i'm like oh my god i have to see this someday because i'm like this is like a totally different movie i've never heard of and a really great job of doing that because it doesn't happen that often <laughs> Well, thank you. Absolutely. This is what we're here for. This is what the film Twitter community is for, about sharing ideas and being able to inspire each other and talk to each other about films that we love. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much, Neil, for um, coming on to the show today. It's been really great discussing with you and getting to know you like a little better. And um, once again, where can we direct people to get to know you online? Absolutely. Uh, at Neil Believes on Twitter. Uh, I believe in rom-coms. That's what I do. Every, and every rom-com. So that's why I'm here with you. And uh, they can find me that on Twitter. And also Neil WB Photography, uh, at Neil WB Photography on Instagram. 
Definitely. And please, please listeners do um, come and join the conversation. Cause like uh, we're on Twitter as well at, at every rom-com pod Neil's on Twitter. Like it's not all people arguing and, and, and saying mean things to each other. There's definitely corners of Twitter where you can have some nice conversations with some great people. So come and join us. <laughs> Yay. And, it, and on Instagram too, you can look at some beautiful pictures. So yeah. So coming up in our high school movie series for every rom-com, we're going to have 16 candles. We're going to have Alex strange love. We're going to have uh, to all the boys I've loved before and hopefully a few other treats. I think we're going to have Greece in there, Sophia. So finally you can have your uh, exciting time with Greece. Oh, and man. yeah, I'm looking forward to all these discussions and yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody, and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.